Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. Hello, folks, and thank you once again for coming to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the Growing Conservative Conversation, and also part of the Patriot Journalist Network. And you can find the Patriot Journalist Network by coming to www.patriotjournalist.com. And welcome to tonight's special Friday night edition of Bard's Logic, uh, where we'll have a number of uh, special guests on, including the Honorable Judge Dorchet. And I believe we have him on the line. We'll get in shortly. And, of course, definitely check out the website at www.bardslogictalk.com. And tonight we will be discussing and reporting the grassroots perspective on the Hammond Ranch situation in Florida, Oregon, not Florida. And we'll be uh, talking with that, and we'll have uh, some of our guests to speak with us as well. So, as I said, I believe we have uh, the Honorable Judge on now. Thank you very much, sir, for coming to the show. How are you? I'm good, and you? Can you hear me okay? I'm good. Uh, Thank you for coming on to the uh, special Friday night uh, edition tonight. And understand something, we're common law judges, okay? Um, that means that, uh, you know, we work in our genes, and um, we we don't have any pretentious about being honorable or any of that. Um, a common law judge really has no power, zero. Um, everything that a common law, uh, that's done in common law courts comes from the grand jury itself. All orders come from the grand jury. Um, I can review cases and give opinions and stuff on those, but all orders that come out um, come from the 25 grand jury members that are unanimous in their decision. So, uh, a really, a common law judge holds no power like your other judges and stuff. We're just regular people. Okay, so maybe we can just call you Bruce, okay? <laughs> you can just call me Bruce. That'll work just fine. So. Okay, Bruce. And, and, and we also have our, uh, what we say, our constitutional scholar here on the show, and uh, that's our panelist, Kelly Mordecai. Thank you very much, Kelly. How are you? Hey, doing good, doing good. Well, I'm glad Bruce is here because there's, you know, some people are wondering what the common law is or what some people have studied the common law to be, <clears throat> so Bruce can fill us in on that. And just a little bit of how I uh, met Bruce, um, <clears throat> somebody pointed out to me a uh, and now it's fraudulent, okay? It's not from Bruce. It's not from his group. But I called him about this, and he was very concerned. But this is what I saw on Facebook. Somebody pointed out to me. It says, Common Law Grand Jury orders the militia to arrest the criminals. 
and they even put Bruce's name here and his phone number. That's how I could call him. But um, whatever Bruce and his grand jury was doing, somebody kind of hijacked this and wrote something <clears throat> fraudulent. When I brought it to Bruce's attention at first, he said, well, does it have a seal on it? And I said, well, no. Well, what's it say? And I'm getting to that point here. Um, <clears throat> it basically says that the uh, grand jury orders um, all militia in the area to search for, locate, identify, and arrest those men involved in this ambush-style attack of Mr. Robert Lavoy Finicum, together with or independently of the activities of the Sheriff of Haney and or Grant Counties. It is so ordered. So when I brought that to his attention <clears throat> over the phone, he was very concerned because, um, well, of course, a grand jury can order like maybe a subpoena and make a pizza for lunch, but it's just rather interesting. And, and he mentioned a number of frauds like this have been going around, and he was concerned because under this <clears throat> written document, people could gather thinking that they have some type of authority when they don't, and, you know, people could get, get killed. So that was one of the things that I want to give to um, Bruce's credit, that he had concerns about this this document. But the, I guess, Bruce, the grand jury you're working with is doing some things. He did have a recent well, question with some seals. Let me correct you on a couple of things. Uh, the grand jury has the ultimate authority. So the grand jury can order anything, and it could be done. But we want to make sure that when the grand jury orders come out that um, they are carried forward, but we want to make sure that they are truly from the grand jury. And this grand jury is a 25-member grand jury from the state of Oregon. Um, so it's not that they don't have the power. You misspoke when you said that. The, the ultimate power is the people. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. A republic is self-governing. And in a self-governing um, uh, law, the people hold all of the power. So they have ultimate power. Um, the judge may not have any power, but the grand jury does. And to give you an idea of how much power the grand jury holds, the grand jury can overrule um, any order that the Supreme Court of the United States puts out, and the Supreme Court can't even challenge them on it. When they put a ruling out, that's it. It's law. So are we clear on that one? Wow, okay. Well, I know the uh, <clears throat> barons of England after the 1215 Magna Carta, they bragged that they were the protector of the people for over 90 years in England. This was before a parliament existed. So that's a, I mean, this is nice that we can learn from each other and each other's perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, what we can uh, take home and improve, if you will. Well, and if you understand, long before we had the Constitution, Common law is what ran this land. You know, that's how um, uh, uh, people self-governed themselves. And, um, and uh, the grand jury and, of course, the Magna Carta itself has been around since 1215. And um, it came into being, uh, the Magna Carta, because <laughs> the uh, king at the time didn't want his head cut off. Um, he was doing some bad things. Um, two people and, and taxing them, them to death and all of that. And, you know, they surrounded him. And he said, okay, wait, 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 wait. Um, I, I'll make a contract with you, a forever contract. And if any of, if any of my henchmen or, or tax collectors or any of that harm you in any way, then you can determine how you deal with them. 
The only rule is, is you can't kill the king and his family. That was it. All the rest of the power was given to the people. You're talking about Clause 61 of the Magna Carta, right? Well, I'm talking about the whole Magna Carta. That's where it came from. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. So uh, the whole thing was a contract that was written by the people that the king signed. And the king signed it because he didn't want to get his head chopped off. Yeah. And so it was truly drawn up by the people as a way of um, self-governing themselves and self-rule that was fair for the people. And that's what it is. And that's where your common law grand jury comes from. And your common law grand jury is also in the Constitution. It's Amendment 5, and your common law courts are your Amendment 7 courts in the in the uh, Constitution. So it's not that this is some make-up thing that, you know, well, maybe people should pay attention to or maybe it has some sort of authority. No, it is the ultimate authority. And people need to understand that the Constitution is not for the people. The Constitution itself is the laws that the government is supposed to follow. We, as people, are supposed to in- follow our inherent rights. And, um, and that is our law, not the Constitution. The Constitution is the law that the government is supposed to follow. And the Constitution, the government was never given the ability to change the Constitution. That's the, the people's contract with the government. The government doesn't have a right to change that. People need to understand that we created the, the government. The people created the government. When you create something, you have complete authority and jurisdiction over what you created. That is what a true republic is. Okay. So the common law to you is basically the um, from the Magna Carta and it's, other things well, like the British too? Or? the grand juries come from the Magna Carta. You know, your your courts um, and that um, are part of the Constitution as well. But the Magna Carta goes all the way back to 1215. But that was always what our founding fathers intended for the people um, of this nation to use as their law. Now, the government itself um, has created laws which it's allowed to do. But those laws that the government creates only applies to government employees. And people have been brainwashed to believe otherwise. We are a republic. We are not a democracy. Okay. So the authoritative definition of the common law, would you say, is the uh, the main part of 1215 then? Like the uh, the definition, if you will? Um, or is it I guess more? you could say that, you know. Really, our laws, are you talking uh, the law for the government or are you talking the law for the people? I mean, I mean, because it's I, really I, not the law for the people. The, the law for the people is, an, is your inherent rights that were given to you from God. You mean our natural rights, yeah. Yeah. The Magna Carta was a suggestion for uh, how people to govern themselves and to... Um, um, to get along and, and how to deal with the government itself. But our laws come from God. And okay. if people don't understand what's going on, this is a spiritual war that we're fighting against the government right now. It's not a war of flesh. Um, can anybody tell me the original definition 
of the meaning legal. Okay. I'll share it it with you. 1823 definition of the word legal is the undoing of God's law. And if we understand that everything that the government does is legal with their statutes and codes, okay? And the definition of lawful, which is what the Constitution is, is in obedience with God's law. So you can see right here what they're doing. Because when the government makes it legal for them to lie to the people, well, what's one of the Ten Commandments? Thou shall not lie, or thou shall not bear false witness. So the government has set themselves up as your master, and they want you to abide by their legal rules. And the Bible tells us we cannot serve two masters. You either serve the government or you serve God. Because when the two of them conflict, and they do, especially with lying, you know, they've made it legal to not only for the government to lie to the people, but for the press to lie to the people and corporations to lie to the people. People wake up, there's something wrong with that. You know, there's nothing moral about that. And that's part of the reason that we're in this problem is because we've taken God out of everything. We've taken the morality of this country or the government has and just tried to flush it down the drain. And we're all sleeping. We're not paying attention to that. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a question. Do you have like a one-sentence definition of the common law or or is it a compilation of the Magna Carta, Sir Edward Coke, that kind of stuff? Is that... Um, you know, it is how everything. You, it, I guess? you know, common law is how people are supposed to treat one another, and if there are disagreements or disputes, how those disagreements and disputes should be handled, and okay. they should not be decided by a single person, be it a judge. Um, and like, if you look at the admiralty system now, well, they claim the defendant is we the people which there is no such thing. They they have no contract with the people that they could even say that. And then you've got the de- defendant. I mean, you've got the prosecutor who works for the government. You've got the judge who works for the government, all stacked up against you if you're the defendant. Um, and <laughs> so it's a kangaroo court. There's your kangaroo court right there, not common law. With common law, if if um, uh, do you understand how common law works? Let me ask you that well, question, Kelly. I've heard a definition years ago. Um, the common law tenet is harm no one, their property, or their rights by willful willful injury or neglect. And that's a really good principle to live by, actually. That is. I that's an awesome principle. And do yeah, you understand how the down. common law works? Well, I, I haven't traced down that reference of that common law tenet, but it's a good idea because we have so many victimless crimes where people go to jail. But, yeah, I'm still trying to – I mean, is, was there case well, law? Let me, after let me try to help. Let me try to explain to you how a grand jury works, and maybe that will help everybody understand how common law itself works, okay? Um, if you have somebody that feels that they have been injured by another party, Okay, 
then they file a complaint with the grand jury. Now, the grand jury will look at that and see, okay, is there an injured party here? Okay? Um, let's pick a very simple example, and we'll kind of walk this through the whole process so that everybody can understand it. Um, let's say, um, Kelly, that you say that I stole $100 from you. Okay? So okay. you take your complaint and your evidence to the grand jury and say, well, he stole $100 from me. And so the grand jury may look at your evidence and your claim and say, well, you know, to us it looks like he stole $100 from him. And so then what happens is when they came, when the grand jury comes up with a um, – and one thing that's different with, with grand juries as opposed to these other laws and stuff, the grand jury not only comes up with um, the indictment, but they also come up with a resolution for it, okay? So um, they may come back with a resolution and say, okay, we feel that you have stolen $100. We want you to um, pay that $100 back um, plus pay another $10 for um, the inconvenience that you caused him to have to get that money back in the first place. But so the grand jury administrator will take that resolution to um, the other party and offer him that resolution. So if I agreed that I had taken the money um, and that I had not given it back to you, um, then I could very simply say, I'm sorry, here's your $100 back, here's an extra $10, and then you're done with the whole case. But let's say that I didn't take that $100 from you, and I know that, okay? So I say, no, 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 I didn't take that $100, okay? So then what happens from there is another grand jury is convened, and you get to present your evidence as to why you think I stole the money, and I get to present my evidence as to why I didn't steal the money, okay? Now, uh, really, there's no judge or anyone involved in this. This is the grand jury and the two parties um, presenting their evidence and in, in, um, in trying to convince the grand jury of who is right and who is wrong. And then after the grand jury hears all the evidence, and there's no evidence shut out, I mean, you can't bring in he hearsay or something like that, but if you have a testimony from somebody um, that can't be at the trial and they, swore, they um, do what's called an affidavit of truth, so they um, write their statement of what they know, and then that is witnessed by three other people, then that can be brought in as evidence there, Okay. But then okay. the, the grand jury, the 25 members of the grand jury, or in this case the 12 because it's actually gone to trial, um, the 12 members of the grand jury will then get together and decide who they feel is lying and who they feel is telling the truth. And their decision is final. Okay. Well, that's, and that's well, how the whole process works. Okay. Well, here's um, a question for you because the uh, Clause 61 of the Magna Carta, the 1215 Magna Carta, um, Baron Group of 25 was elected from amongst the Baron Group, and when one of the king's agents uh, hurt somebody, you could go and petition the 
uh, Aaron Group of 25. We'll just call it the Grand Jury, okay? So the, the Grand Jury, uh, you'd go talk to the barons. They would go talk to the sheriff, Nottingham, or the you know king soldier, whoever. And they said, look, you got to correct us within 40 days. Um, and they refused to. Then they would take it to the whole uh, 25 baron group. And basically, uh, if they still didn't comply, like the sheriff of Nottingham for jailing Robin Hood for a wrong reason, then the whole grand jury group would go together and take from the sheriff of Nottingham whatever he had uh, until it, everything was made right. And in the document written by distinguished pro- uh, professor of medieval history, Gwen of Dodd, it's called The Birth of Parliament. He described that the barons of England bragged about being the protectorate of the British people for 90 years, but then the parliament came in in the 1300s and started to weaken the the grand jury of 1215. So it's a rather fascinating study, but there are, there has to be situations that you might find in the Magna Carta era, the 1200s, where you have a summary of what, um, how this process all works. Uh, meaning how the barons dealt with the situation, the Baron Group of 25. Do you have any type of uh, uh, cases or matters before that grand jury from that era? Uh, you know, th- that has kind of been changed a little bit over the years. Um, and, you know, really it's come down to the people themselves, not barons. Um, the people themselves are the ones to make the determination as to whether or not somebody is guilty. Um, I'm not sure I'm, you know, exactly understanding your question. So maybe try well, the reason why explaining I that, that a little more in a way that um, that I can understand. That. Okay. Well, let me give you a comparison. There's a compilation of the British law. It's called Howell State Trials. The first volume was published in 1719, and a bunch of uh, judges and attorneys and others compiled a bunch of cases going way back in British history, and their first case was in 1168, and then they got cases in 1200s. Of course, these are the courts. Um, Case precedent, if you will, is what they had from the common law at the time, and so the matters that the Baron Group of 25 or the grand jury dealt with I'm wondering if you have any of those um, examples. I I don't personally know, and and I haven't um, studied that as much. Um, so uh, you know, I, I have gone more off of what the um, what the grand jury has done um, in our history. Um, oh, okay. And and then you know even. Even before our Constitution was signed, we were running under common law. Now, um, and and I think there's some sort of a misunderstanding that you have as well, and maybe I should try to clear that up as well. Because even our government now, they claim in their maritime law that they use common law. Um, So there are different forms of common law. Well, the form of common law that they use, um, the judge is the one that picks the grand jury. And it's not truly from your peers. Um, and so it's not truly a common law, even though they're calling it a common law. Um, when this country was founded, 
you had two jurisdictions. You had the land jurisdiction, which is the continental United States and all of the land and all of the people. And then you had the sea jurisdiction, which the federal government was created and given um, control over the sea jurisdiction. And there, we, our contract with them is 19 separate things that they were to do, and only those 19 things that we contracted with them to do. And the land jurisdiction was given full authority over the sea jurisdiction because the land jurisdiction has all of the people in it and we, the people, created the federal government. And so, therefore, again, when you create something, you have complete jurisdiction over it. Well, the federal government started realizing that with their sea jurisdiction that they had a lot of power and that they could actually they actually conceived a way with um uh and there was actually a and I wish I could remember the name of it right now, but there was a book that was found in the um Library of Congress that was um unfiled. And it was the whole plan. Um, that the lawyers had or the bar members had come up with to usurp the power and take all of the power and put it into the sea jurisdiction where they had control of everybody in the United States. And that is what has happened with our country. We have been taken over by a shadow government. Um, by kind of by the, and it by has the not, attorneys? Do you believe, do you believe it's by, by, bar kind of members. by the attorneys? Or? Right, by bar, by bar members. And that was the whole reason that the original, because in the original Constitution, there was actually some titles of nobility, okay, in that. But um, our founding fathers, when they got wind of what was happening with the bar members and stuff, decided, okay, that wasn't quite strong enough language in there. And they decided to draw up the original 13th Amendment. And the original 13th Amendment specifically um, prohibits any uh, bar members or anyone with, um, with uh, multiple oaths to participate in any part of the government or the justice system. So that means dual citizenships or if somebody is wearing an oath to the bar and to the U.S. Constitution, well, they can't do that. You have to pick one or the other. So the and, 13th Amendment, the original 13th Amendment, was to prevent the barred, anybody at the bar from taking over the government. Now, I've heard of this. I haven't really researched it. I recently talked to another person who found it in his state archives. So, you know, it's one thing to have actually all over around. the Internet. It's actually all over the Internet now, and the documents are all out there. You could find when, when every state um, ratified it. And it was ratified, and it was never repealed. So if it was ratified and it was never repealed, then that means that it's the law, correct? Well, what I'm trying to do, Bruce, Bruce, I'm trying to help you out here. What I'm trying to oh, do no, is Oh, no, I'm just find... asking you a question. Hold on, one... Go ahead. What, what, what I'm trying to say, Bruce, is the Internet is one thing, but if somebody goes to their start their state archives and finds the original 13th Amendment, you compare that to what 
is there now, it's a rather shocking experience. I mean, that's exactly. a definite proof solid thing that there was a 13th, but the attorneys had to, or the Bar Association, from what you're telling me, is trying to take over. It's a very serious yeah, thing. Yeah, and I'll explain. Least, yeah. I'll explain how they did that, but yes, we were saying the same thing, sir. I wasn't disagreeing with you. Um, okay. And yes, you can look, you can go and look up any original, um, uh, almost in every state, if you look up the original Constitution, it has the original 13th Amendment in it. Wow, so, in the archives, yeah. Right, in the archives, correct. Um, so where did it go? Who tried to hide it? Um well, if you understand at the time that it was ratified that our members were part of the government. They were part of all of the government, states and, and counties and federal governments. And they didn't want to let that power go. And that is truly what the War of, um, of 1812 was all about and why the White House was burned down, was to create a distraction um, so that Nobody realized that it had been real, uh, had been ratified, um, and then what happened after that is the federal government, the United States of America, Inc., was formed. And when the federal government formed the United States of America, Inc., which is a corporation, they claimed that they used the Constitution. Well, they don't have a Constitution. They're a fiction, okay? So... They have a corporate charter. Now, a corporate charter, they can adopt at will and change at will without our permission. The Constitution, they can't and never could. So, and real quick, gentlemen, uh, I have to, real quick, gentlemen, I have to stop this for a moment. It is the bottom of the hour, so I have some uh, programming that I have to do. And we're talking a lot about the Constitution uh, tonight, and we'll continue to do so. And in that light, let's go ahead and hear from the Constitution Party and about their debate happening in Boise, Idaho at the end of this month. We the people, the Constitution Party, a surveyor, a vocational nurse, a behavioral counselor, ordinary citizens, extraordinary candidates. The public is invited to the 2016 Boise presidential debate held Saturday afternoon, February 27th at 12.30 p.m. at Hayes Auditorium, Boise Main Library. For details, visit www.cpidaho.org. Brought to you by the people of the Constitution Party of Idaho. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and also, we do have some uh, folks who have called in, and uh, they have pushed one on the number dial to let you know uh, that we get in, Susan. I know you'd like to get in. We will get you into the, into the show, as well as others who have uh, called in. Uh, but for those who like to chime in as well, give us a call at 347-945-7428. And if you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and I uh, will get you into the show. Uh, so let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Bruce, and Kelly, and then uh, we'll definitely get the others in. Go ahead, Bruce. Okay. So anyway, um, I think I was at um, going through the discussion of, um, you know, how we ended up with two constitutions. Well, we only really have one constitution. Um, we have the original constitution with the original 13th Amendment, and since you had bar members in the government at that time, and they had never left, 
then really that was the last time anything could be ratified. Because anything that would have happened after that, not allowing bar members into the government or into the justice system, would be illegal. It would be done in fraud. Um, and so this was the whole idea of why they buried the original 13th Amendment, because all of these bar members wanted to stay in government and be part of it. And they had a plan. And basically, we've heard about this shadow government trying to take over our government. Well, this is what it is, people. This is that shadow government was those bar members. And those bar members proceeded to set things up so that nobody in the government could make a decision without getting their approval, basically. And that's how we ended up in the mess that we're in today. Wow, um, that's interesting. And well, well I, I got another question for you to <clears throat> help our listeners. So you're a um, federal judge of the continental United States, okay? So yes. the continental United States must have a some type of government then, like the House of Representatives, the Senate, and a judicial system. Is that is that correct, or is it something? It is supposed to. Um, and the Congress for um, the land jurisdiction for the continental United States is supposed to be in, in Philadelphia, not, not in Washington, D.C. So, again, there is your two um, governments, your land jurisdiction and your sea jurisdiction. And so what we're in the process of doing now and have been for several years now is, one, educating people about what really happened and how the fraud happened, and how we lost control of our government, and we truly have lost control of our government. And if any of our listeners think that morally it's okay for our government to pass uh, what they call or make it legal to lie to the people, you've got to be scratching your heads and saying, now, why would it be okay to do that? Why would it morally be okay to do that? So what wow. we've been in the process of doing for the last 17 years now is restoring the um, restoring the common law courts, so the grand juries to all of the counties and all of the states. Uh, currently, we have um, between 15 and 20 superior court judges. Um, we have uh, 15 to 20 states now with common law um, uh, grand juries uh, seated and up and operational. Um, and we have more coming on all the time, and I say 15 or 20 because we have 15, but we've got another five that are will maybe finish within the next week or two coming online. And what we need to do as a people, if we want to bring our government back into control, is we need to set up, starting on the county levels, lawful governments. And these are governments on the land and not on the sea. So we need to elect a sheriff on the land. These new governments cannot be incorporated because any time you incorporate anything, you take it from true land jurisdiction where it has all of the power and the backing of the people to see jurisdiction. So you're putting it right back into the phony government that we have now. Um, and, you know, it may shock people to understand this, but I'm going to say this. And I need it 100%. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, 
Barack Obama is not the president of the continental United States and never has been. Barack Obama is the president and CEO of United States of America, Inc., which is a corporation pretending to offer government services and doing a very poor job of it. Well, let me let me summarize. And that's why he doesn't have to be born a natural born American to be the president. Go ahead, Kelly. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And and gentlemen, and we uh, and here's how we're going to do it because I do want to get other folks in in the line as well. Uh, So Kelly, go ahead and uh, do your summary, and then we're going to bring in Susan, and then we have uh, another one of our guests uh, callers uh, coming in. It's David Callahan. We have him in line. Wants to chime in. We're going to get you in as well, David. And then we'll uh, move uh, throughout. We also have uh, William on the line and Richard. Uh, uh, just push the one on the number dial uh, when you like to get in, and I'll get you into the show as well. So go ahead and finish that uh, thought, Kelly, and then I'll bring in Susan and then David. And then uh, William, I see William like to chime in as well. Uh, we'll get him in there. Uh, so go ahead, uh, Kelly. Okay, so Bruce, what you're telling me is that the – organic or natural constitution of 1788 uh, ratified by the state. The organic constitution has been taken over because the people in the bar have replaced different things, taken over, made it an incorporated government. You're trying to resurrect what was and what the founders created. And then I guess a question, a couple questions for you are, how do you appoint or elect a continental United States judge uh, appointed, confirmed, or elected. How does that work? How do you convene your common law grand juries? Okay. Well, um, you got several questions there. So, yeah. Real quick, before you answer, real quick, before you answer, and uh, folks uh, who are uh, listening and calling into the show, because I do want to hear about. Uh, the perspective of uh, all this, how this ties with the Hammond Ranch, we will be getting uh, to that discussion this evening on our show. There's still plenty of time. We will be tying all that in uh, with that because I know there's a lot of folks who are interested in what's going uh, there in Oregon, and we will be tying this all together. Go ahead, Bruce. Okay. Well, let's take the important part of that first because the judge really has no power. <laughs> um, people keep thinking that it's like a judge in the in the the – the uh, admiralty courts and stuff that have all the power and make all the decisions, a judge has no power at all. The important piece of that is the grand jury. And the grand jury comes from the people in the county. You know, how do you go about forming those? Well, you um, announce that you're going to form a grand jury and you have people show up for that. And out of that grand jury, um, you'll have four grand jury administrators. Now, the four grand jury administrators are the people who are registered with the government, okay? And it can be the incorporated government or it can be the real government. Um, The superior courts actually now have um, a website set up where all of the court documents and stuff can be registered there instead of putting them into these admiralty courts, which most of them are not accepting those now anyway. But anyway, to make a long story short, I'll try to be as quick as possible with this. You have four grand jury administrators. Those four grand jury administrators are your permanent part of the grand jury. They are not the ones that actually make the decisions. They are the ones that instruct the grand jury as to what to do and um, how to do it. Um, They do the initial reviews on a case when it's brought 
um, to the grand jury to determine whether or not uh, a constitutional violation has been breached or not. Um, but then the grand jury is actually the people in the county. And that grand jury should revolve um, and it should um, have new members uh, come in and out all of the time. And that's how the people themselves participate in governing themselves, is through those grand juries. Did I answer your question, Kelly? Yeah, just how, you, how you're bringing together the grand jury, how are judges of the uh, continental United States elected or appointed, or how, how does that work? Um, you know, when Judge, when judge Anna became the first uh, judge, because we did not have any Superior Court judges at that time, um, she actually had to use the last man standing rule in the Constitution um, because we didn't have any at that time. Um, since then, uh, now you'll find that your uh, judges are either appointed or um, elected by the people or a combination of both. Um, I was both appointed and elected. So, so from but, a group uh, of people, or I, I'm yes, not sure how uh -huh. it works. Well, you know, your government is going to be those people who um, uh, who participate. Not everybody is going to participate. So um, if, if everybody is given a chance to participate when you post your um, notices that you're going to form grand juries or you're going to, um, you know, elect a sheriff on the land or something like that, um, you know, you have, to, you have to choose and do your elections from the people that are willing to participate. Somebody's not, then they can't complain because they, that they don't have a say because they chose not to participate. Does that make sense? It's starting to. What about your appellate level? Do you have district judges and then circuit <laughs> judges? And no, I mean, it's kind we're of not a, that complicated yet. We're we're lucky to no, have. Okay, not there yet. Uh, okay. Okay. You, you're on that? Yeah. Well, probably eventually, if there's a need for it. You know, you got to remember with real common law. Um, courts, um, there is no IRS code. There is no traffic code. So, you know, people are not going to be running to court all the time for all of these erroneous things just to take money from people. And in the common law courts, you're not charged any court fees or any kind of fees at all. Uh, the the um, admiralty, admiralty courts do that because that's their way of making money and robbing the people. But none of that is lawful. I mean, there is no place in the Constitution that says you have to have a license for your vehicle. Um, and the Supreme Court of the United States, back when it was elected by the people instead of appointed by the government, has upheld that as well. Um, Murray versus Pennsylvania. You know, the Supreme Court decision there was that no government can take an inherent right, convert it into a privilege, um, require a license, a tax, and a fee for it. I've seen that case actually. Yeah, and, and let's go ahead and let's go ahead and bring uh, some of the other callers in because we want to be able to get them in as well. So uh, here's the lineup: we've got uh, Susan, we have David, and then William, and uh, we also have uh, Richard on the line and others. And so, if, when you like to chime in, just push the one on the number dial. And I think we had uh, Richard on the show before, back in 2012. Uh, I believe may have been uh, the lawyer for Ron Paul, if I recall correctly, uh, Kelly. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in Susan. Susan, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. 
Uh, he was talking about government getting back to God. Um, I'm hoping he he remembers uh, what Samuel warned the nation of Israel of the responsibilities of having a king. Because this comes every time you have a king. Not that King David and some of them were good people. They were, and they did the best they could. But God said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. And that could go with any leader that's not God. He will take your sons and appoint them for his chariots and to be his horsemen. Some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties and set some to plow his ground, reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. Taking your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, bakers, the best in your fields, your vineyards, olive groves, olive groves, and give them to his servants. A tenth of your grain he will take and give it to his officers and servants. Taking your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to work. Taking a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servant. You will cry on a day because of your king whom you chose, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. So he was letting him know. He was warning them there are problems connected with having a king. There will be other problems. Okay, so what did we expect? What did we expect? Uh, Israel demanded a king despite that warning. And, you know, I've studied the forefathers. I've written blog articles. I've plugging their lives, the fortune and honor. And I believe they were very sincere. And yet, you know, I think they did the closest that it could be to what God would have wanted them. But as time went on, you had presidents who did exactly what he warned would happen. And we, and we act surprised. We act surprised. You shouldn't if you read this. <laughs> and I have to agree with you 100%. And that is, you know, um, our government is trying to become our king. And we were never meant, and God never meant for that to be. God meant for us to follow his law and his rules only. So very well said. Thank you. And I just yeah, thank you, uh, thank you, Susan. As you know, we'll be uh, keeping your mic uh, open and on the line. I just got a couple questions, and then we're going to uh, open up uh, David's mic here. Um, yeah, and then uh, after that, so two questions. One is uh, going to ask first: uh, Is a judge required? to convene a common law grand jury? No. No, a judge is only required if um, there is something to go to court. You know, if there's a case to be brought before the court. Um, And like I said, common law judges really have no power, people. It's not a glamorous job at all. Um, But the, the total power is in the grand jury. It is not in the superior courts. It is not in the judges. It is in the the 25 people from the community that come together to decide what is um, right and what is, and that's how it should be. Rather than one judge making a decision, it's really tough to get 25 people to all agree on something. (laughs) Um, uh, But you can be sure when they do that um, it should be the right thing. I yield. Okay. And then uh, lastly, before we uh, bring in, uh, David, what about the grand jury from the U.S. versus Williams? Um, what about that? I, I don't understand. Well, tell what us your about what it says is. about the power of the grand jury. Well, well, 
U.S. versus Williams is a powerful case that indicates it is not a part of the first uh, three branches. It's a constitutional fixture unto itself. Um, but I don't know, uh, Bruce, why don't you tell us a little bit more if you've studied that case? I, I, I haven't studied that as much, but I can tell you where it's going with it. And that is um, um, one of the important things to come out of that case was that there was always supposed to be one leg of the government that or one leg of the Justice Department that stood outside of the government and outside of the government's control. Um, in order for us to be able to watch over what we created, and if what we created was not doing the right thing, then there was always supposed to be one leg of the justice system that stood outside of the government that had complete authority and control over the government. And that was supposed to be your common law grand juries, that was supposed to be your constitutional sheriffs and your superior courts. Well, Those were the leg of the justice system that was supposed to set outside of the government in order to make sure it did the right thing. Well, one of the first things that the bar members decided was, well, these people have way too much control. We need to find a way to get them under our control so that we can control them. And they started with the sheriffs putting them under their budgets instead of the people. And um, the same thing with the Superior Court judges. They did that to the Superior Court judges. And when the judges would retire, they didn't replace them purposely because they didn't want them to have that much control over them. I yield. I hope I answered well, the question. Yeah, well, that's really good The um, in the sense of uh, understanding where you're coming cool. from. In, in Hale versus Henkel, it's a landmark case. It says the grand jury was not created for the prosecutor, nor the courts, but for the government and the people. Landmark case. Now, suppose you have a grand jury indictment. Uh, do you um, is the sheriff supposed to arrest somebody after that? And what happens if the sheriff? Well, Kelly, and, and, and let's and, and, we'll, and we'll bring that. And Kelly, we'll bring that back around certainly. But I did uh, say I was going to bring uh, some other folks in, and let, let's get back to that because I think that's going to be a good way of tying things into uh, the Hammond Ranch. Uh, but I do want to bring uh, the folks in who's been wanting to chime in. So let's go ahead and bring in David Callahan. Thank you very much, David, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing fine. How are you this evening? Great. Uh, great. Welcome uh, back to the show. Thanks. Welcome, David. Um, thank you. Nice to talk to you, Bruce. But it's you, it's an interesting conversation. I'm I'm still a little confused, and I just wonder if you could give me some clarity here. Um, in, uh, I, I'm trying to understand. Apparently, you have a difference. And, and again, I'm I'm trying to learn how this concept of common law grand jury uh, exists versus what we see as grand juries, at least in form in the country today, not being used to any great extent, mostly in just capital cases. However, the question I have uh, that I'd like to start with is. Apparently, you, you see a different institution, if we will, for lack of a better word, uh, that is uh, being uh, raised up in communities that is not the same as the grand jury that we see operating today. Uh, I mean, this is a question. Uh, and uh, in some sense, uh, it's a different animal, if you will. Um, what, it's kind of a twofold question. Uh, what's the place of the existing grand juries in terms of where you think that this common law grand jury should be in play? 
And second part of the question would be um, the uh, question of what place does that current grand jury have in the system that you're suggesting, which because the point is, I think I'm seeing that there's two different systems here operating. That there's the system of what we would call the government out of Washington, D.C. Apparently, that's not the government that you're suggesting. You made a comment that uh, the seat of government was not supposed to be in what is called Washington, D.C. It's supposed to be in Philadelphia. Um, I have, you know, I, I guess I have a question about uh, Article One, Section Eight, Clause uh, Seventeen in that respect, um, uh, because it, it, isn't it not true that the Constitution is the supreme law of the land, or not? Uh, and the other part of the question would, well, let's let's just leave it there. I have a follow-up question as well, but it, it, the question is, what's the differentiation between? the grand juries that we've seen operating since the time of the Articles of Confederation in the original Constitution all the way to the present day versus what you're suggesting, these common law grand juries. And when did those grand juries no longer have legitimacy? I guess that would be the question. Okay. Okay, well, you're incorrect with a little of your thinking. These these grand juries that I'm talking about were... Um, operating up um, as late as um, 1960. Okay, so these were the people's grand juries. Okay? Separate from so the grand the juries that. Let me just clarify. I've got to explain. I'm going to try. Separate to from the so grand juries that existed. Uh, in other words, were there two grand juries operating? Yes, I just want to make sure I'm clear. Yes, that is correct. Okay, you have okay. grand juries that were working or operating in the C jurisdiction which was for the government. And remember, the government only had rights to make laws for its employees, not for the people. It's a corporation. Which um, government? It does. Which, the, which government are you talking about? Local see, government? County government? I'm state talking government? I'm talking about United States of America, Inc., which originally was only supposed to be in the 10 square miles of Washington, D.C., and when did that now, come about? They reached they reached out um, and tapped into all of the counties and stuff when the counties incorporated. Okay, when they incorporated the counties, they took them from the land jurisdiction back into their jurisdiction. So you have the the grand juries for the um, admiralty courts. So we'll just say admiralty courts, and we'll say the common law courts. That'll be the easiest way for people to keep. This straight, okay. And when did the, the common when did law that, courts, When did that come about? What, I, I just want to get a timeline well, here. When? What was the timeline of this happening? Well, it, it happened over time. You know, no, but, it but started it was back in the eighteen hundreds. Was in the well, sixteen. When was it? What what century are we talking? Well, we started with some. You know, as early as eighteen sixty. Um, okay, so, some so, of the counties. Yeah, well, well, one person at a time, gentlemen. Post Civil War. Well, after the Civil War, I mean, during the Civil War time is when we lost most of our um, true common law courts. Um, okay. And that was because of the admiralty uh, law that was um, in place. And okay, that I just was illegal to, to put in place at the time, but, you know, it was what was in place. 
But uh, let me try to explain the difference between the two grand juries first before I lose my track here. So you have the grand juries that work for the admiralty courts. Well, those grand juries there, again, they are picked and controlled by the prosecutor and the judge, and they're not truly your peers. The common law grand juries are supposed to be your peers. They are supposed to be formed in your county where, wherever the crime was committed, and they're supposed to be your peers that are making the judge, judgment against you because those are people that know you, okay? And that was an important part of the true grand juries is this was a, um, a, a grand jury of your peers, people that knew you and had an idea of what your intent was. Um, now, with the government, they just assemble whoever they want to or whoever they think will give them the most favorable decision. They pick from those pools of people and pull those in and call them a grand jury, but yet they're still controlled by the prosecutor and, the, and they're picked by the judge. So that's not truly a fair system. Now, does that help answer the question that you asked to start with? Uh, a little bit. It still raises the question: Why not just fix the jury, the, the juries that exist, versus trying to create a whole new system of juries? Well, because again, you're still staying under admiralty law. We don't belong under admiralty law. We are not a democracy. We are a republic. We are self-governing. A republic does not work under admiralty law. Admiralty, where did admiralty law and the government okay. is all a dictatorship, basically, where the government decides what the people um, do, and they are the boss. And so that's the whole problem with the two systems. And that's why they're telling people that, um, you know, America is a democracy. It's not a democracy. If you're a corporation, yes, it's a democracy. Um, but the true... Natural-born Americans are self-governing. They are a republic. Have you ever said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands? Mm -hmm. Did you ever say democracy or was it republic? Well, and which it, system it, do you want to be republic. under? Do you want to be self-governing? Or, you know, if you want to be in their system and that's where you want to live, you all, we all have rights to choose um, um, we have free choice to choose our um, political status. So if you want to choose to live yeah. under that system, you're free to do that. Okay. What, what, Could I when interrupt this... for a second? Hold on. Hold on. Okay, folks. Let's go ahead and uh, bring another voice in here. Go ahead, Susan. Okay. Um, this all started, um, Congress had realized our country was in dire straits. They cut a deal with the international bankers, okay, and this act formed the corporation known as the United States, but they altered the Constitution, which reads in capital letters, the Constitution of the United States of America. It is a corporate constitution. It is not the same document you might think. The corporate constitution operates in an economic capacity and has fooled the people into thinking it is the same parchment that governs the republic. It is not. The capitalization is not insignificant. They, and you they are correct there. When, you are okay. correct, 100%. Did, 
Hold on one person at a time, folks. I, I, I hate people talking over each other. Let's not do that, please. Uh, uh, okay. I'm just trying to get a date. Um, I think it was the act of 1871 is when, you know, we are being ruled by a de facto or an unlawful form of government with the corporate body of death mongers, which are the controllers. Congress does not work for you and me. They work for the corporation known in capitalism as the United States. They are the servants of the corporate. Um, I'm reading this from the government and carrying out its bidding. This is from the Constitution Club, which I am a member of. Um, with Keith uh, Waters. Um, it is a corporate instrument of the international bankers. You are owned by the corporation from birth until death. They hold ownership of your assets, property, and children. So is, that, it says yeah. in the Act of 1871, they ratified the 14th Amendment and our once great nation of sovereigns subverted from a republic to a democracy. Now, I still, in my heart, believe we're a republic, or feel I'm a, rep- a part of a republic, and I say that, but like I've told or, uh, that my congressman, my representative, Mike Simpson from Idaho, hey, Susan, always Susan, uses hey, the Susan, word democracy. Susan, real, real, real quick, Susan, hold that thought. Uh, it is the top of the hour. Uh, and so with that being the top of the hour, uh, let's hear from our friends at the Patriot Journalist Network. You're not just listening to a show. You're part of the powerful voice of the conservative conversation on Blog Talk Radio. Nothing worthwhile has ever been accomplished without teamwork. PJNet invites you to help make a difference by adding your voice to the team, grassroots, conservatives working together to take our country back. To find out more, Check out the PJNet hashtag and visit our website at PatriotJournalist.com. Let PJNet add our muscle to your hustle. And definitely, folks, check out the Patriot Journalist Network, in which Barge Logic is a proud member at www.PatriotJournalist.com. And we bring things back to you, Susan. Go ahead. And then we've got uh, William on the line uh, who would like to chime in, and we want to get him in as well. And then uh, anyone else likes to chime in, just push the one on the number dial. I'll do some uh, call screening here in a bit while I'm doing that, and then we'll bring things uh, back around uh, to the folks who are on the line, which means that uh, we will bring it back to you, Kelly, and uh, you, David, as well. And, of course, uh, we always bring it back to our guest, uh, which is Bruce tonight. Uh, so go ahead, Susan. The gentleman wanted a date. February 21, 1871, 41st Congress in Session, Section 34-63, for the District of Columbia, which is a 10-mile square parcel of land. Now, I realize I don't have all this knowledge, but I'll tell you what, when I get the Constitution Club, Constitutional Sheriff Club, I file it in files, and I can go back, and I can look at it, because I feel it's essential that I have these things. So I keep it. And there's your date. You wanted it. And, Susan, I think you did an excellent job of expl- or insulting answering Kelly's question as to why we don't want to fix um, the admiralty system and the corporation. Um, Because in that system, you can't be free. Um, You are a slave. 
And um, like I said, people have the free will to change their political status anytime they want. So if people want to be part of that system, let them go for it. I don't want to be a slave for the government. And very well said, Susan. Thank you. Thank you. It's Keith Waters. I don't know if you know him, but if you Google up the Constitution Club, it's an awesome. I mean, I've taken some of his quizzes and tests, but I didn't do it too bad. It wasn't perfect, but um, he's got a lot of them on there at the beginning of the end, learning about the Constitution, liberty versus security, governing the government, the schoolyard bully, doggy dog. I mean, it's all on the Constitution, let me tell you. It's amazing. I learned a lot. This is David. I have a follow-up question on that. Is it okay to ask it? Uh, to me or to who? Uh, did you hear? Did you hear me? I have a follow-up question on that issue about the. Uh, go ahead. Um, is this the first time that there was any corporations involved in the government of the United States? That in your in your thinking. Up until then, I think it was pure and true as a republic, yeah. Well, uh, that's not actually correct because every one of the original 13 colonies was under a charter, a corporate charter. Did you know that? Every one of them was a corporation that was enacted out of the British uh, Parliament by the king of, the, uh, by the crown. Every single one of them. Well, we were in a country at the time, per se, were we? Yes, yes, we were. Uh, in the Declaration of Independence, it says that these colonies oh, ought okay. right be the uh, free and independent states. And states used in the Declaration of Independence is the exact same word that was used for the state of Great Britain in the Declaration of Independence. So they were okay. all I thought, they were all corporate okay, I thought, charters, and they were states as well. I, I guess I'm just trying to understand. What's the difference of a corporation in 1877 versus a corporations of 1638 or 1645 or uh, whatever? What what differentiates those corporations from the corporation that was created? And I'll, I'm asking the question. I really want to know why is this a difference from the corporations that were the original colonies, which became states? They were not. They were not deemed to not be able to be states because they were based on corporate charters. So I'm just trying to understand where this becomes a problem. Well, it I becomes a problem with the criminal Hold intent on. of the corporation. Oh, just, Go ahead, Susan. Okay. Well, oh, I was just saying, but, I thought he was talking beforehand with the Magna Charta and all that, so I, I misunderstood where well, he was taking it back to. Okay, at this point, folks, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll have time to, to bring it back around to all that. And I believe we will. Uh, we still got almost, uh, you know, two hours left of the show. Uh, so let's go ahead, as promised. And, and William, I really appreciate your patience uh, for that. I know I've been said a while ago, uh, we'll, we'll get you in. Uh, but, you know, as things go uh, in the roundtable discussion, uh, sometimes it does take a little bit of time. And I'm glad we got you in the show. How are you tonight? I'm fine, thank you. Um, I guess I have a couple of questions and then some comments. Um, Doug, I've listened to what you've talked about, and this concept that you're presenting sounds a great deal like the National Liberty Alliance. Is that 
what you're part of or where you grew out of, or how did you come to this position? You mean Bruce, right? Bruce, excuse me. I'm yeah, I meant Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, uh, you know, I I have this to say about National Liberty Alliance. Um, there is a lot of good people in the counties and in the states doing work itself and trying to form grand juries and stuff. Um, as far as National Liberty Alliance and John Duresh, um, and I have publicly stated this before, I think that is a controlled opposition. Um, I think that they are not doing things correct and that they are controlling and actually holding back the people from truly forming their own grand juries and stuff. And so I do not agree with them. Okay. Well, just the, the structure just seems identical. And my question is, people talk about the Constitution, and you're talking about grand juries in the counties. Um, those are state grand juries or county grand juries within the state. So you're talking about uh, the state structure as opposed to the federal structure if we're going to do this right. And they're two separate and apart. If you're going to talk about the Constitution for the United States of America, then that's a federal jurisdiction. And if you study this extensively, and I've, this is my 26th year of being involved with this movement, um, and I'm 70, I'll be 74 in May. So I've been doing this a long oh, time. Wow. And I just, I just would hope that people would take a look at some of the things that have been said and try to understand how it was really structured. First of all, the Declaration of Independence broke away from England, right? And we disavowed our mm -hmm. relationship with Great Britain. And so you had 13 colonies, Pennsylvania, I'm in Pennsylvania, very rich history. And oh, by the way, it was a land grant, not a, not a uh, charter. Um, so yes. uh, a unique state. And no, no surprise that uh, the Constitution and the beginning of this country happened in Philadelphia. But at any rate, um, when you look at that history and you say there, there was then 13 colonies, very fledgling at the time, and they left, the leaders left the, the uh, convention, and here in Pennsylvania wrote the Constitution for Pennsylvania, and it was signed into law in September 28, 1776. So Pennsylvania, as a nation, was created on that date. The other states followed. Um, the point I'm making is that's the state government. And they quickly realized that they couldn't defend against Great Britain, as an example, the most powerful uh, army in the world, the military in the world at the time. And um, so they started in 1777, the Articles of the Confederation, and they were inadequate. They only existed from 81 to 87, or 88, I guess, when they were replaced. But the point being is that country, the United States of America, if you look in the Declaration, it talks about the United States of America, but they were not united at the time. They were separate colonies that became states. That they came together in a convention in Philadelphia to uh, 
rewrite the Constitution, and they did that, and it became ratified on June 21st, 1788, became law. So at that point, there was the United States of America under the current Constitution. But in the ratification process, there were over 200 proposed amendments by the conventions of the states, or they wouldn't have ratified it. And if you look at the Federalist Papers, they were written to convince the people of New York to ratify the Constitution. And Washington guaranteed that there would be a Bill of Rights if they went on and ratified it. But these proposed 200 amendments, and I'm not there, so I don't know the exact number, but boiled down to 12 that eventually went out to the states for ratification, the Bill of Rights, that became the last 10 of those 12 in December 15, 1791. That's the Constitution. Now, if you're talking about the federal Constitution and the federal courts, the federal Constitution calls for a Supreme Court and inferior courts to be created by the Congress. And that's what they did. So when you go back and look at the true history, there's supposed to be, according to Madison as an example, and Hamilton wrote the same thing, or very similar, but Madison said this, we're supposed to have a compound republic. Let me read that. It's in, it's in Federalist 51. In a single republic, all powers surrendered by the people is submitted to the, to the administration of a single government. And the usurpations are guarded against by the division of the government into distinct and separate departments. In the compound republic of America, the power surrendered by the people is first divided between two distinct governments. That's the state and the federal constitution, the federal government. Um, and then portions allotted to each subdivided among distinct and separate departments. Hence, a dual security arises to the rights of the people. The different governments will control each other at the same time that each will be controlled by itself, end quote. And so when you start talking about a grand jury and the grand jury is going to make some determination of fact, first of all, you're off base. That's the difference between a grand jury, which in essence does a probable cause determination, and a trial jury or a petit jury, it's called, that determines the facts. And those are 12. It's supposed to be 12. All right, so you have two distinct juries. And the way it's supposed to work according to the law, is quite different than what, uh, Bruce, you've described and what, frankly, NLA has described. And you're bringing in some federal concept and apply it within the county, which can never be. And so we have a horrendous amount of misunderstanding about the structure of the lawful government. Has it been for... Yes. And I'll take you through each step of that, and a lot of them, and show you how they did it. But this idea that you know, we're all corporations and all. This is just made up to try to explain away what has actually happened. And if you'd like, I can come back on another program or we can talk about it now. But when you need to decide what you're really talking about, the federal jurisdiction is separate and apart with limited and enumerated powers in the Constitution. Where we've lost that is, Certain attorneys and judges and professors of law working for bankers and other corrupt folks have, in fact, subverted the form of government. I suggest to you it's um, 
probably a socialist police state currently, and I'm not afraid to say that. I've written that in briefs to courts. But the point I'm saying to you is not, certainly not a constitutional republic, and this has occurred over time by a number of things, and they are not, as has been described that I've heard so far on this program by and large. And I'm just surprised at how we spent over an hour talking about things that really deal with uh, a county grand jury has to be called by some authority, not just made up. Now, if you look in Blackstone's commentaries, the judge instructs the sheriff to bring forward the jurors from the county and form a grand jury, and they're under the protection of the sheriff. Now, that sheriff has to be doing his or her job, and they're not generally today, but if you start delving into how it's supposed to be structured, it's very well structured. And the lessons from, as an example, uh, U.S. versus Williams that NLA and others like to point to uh, applies to federal grand juries only. And and you have multiple counties, as an example, in federal districts, and they operate differently. Concepts are similar, but they're different, and they're under control of different laws. And when you try to say, well, we'll just throw all that out and make it up with four administrators and they teach everybody and they'll bring the, do the investigation and they'll have the grand juries make some edict. Grand juries don't make any decisions other than is there a probable cause to issue a presentment or an indictment, depending on where it's applied. And then the trial occurs and the facts are presented totally and the jury makes the decision. And they're supposed to judge both the law and the facts in a constitutional republic. But if you understand that, then a lot of the discussion that we've had in this concept of grand juries, having somebody who's a judge who's just in North Carolina, as an example, having any comment that apply to anybody outside of North Carolina, would be ridiculous. This is amazing. And I saw this document that about going up there to Oregon, and some statewide grand jury is calling a militia, and I guess we're going to come to that eventually, but the point I'm making is yes. these are totally unlawful in any concept. It's also actually illegal, and I agree with some distinction about legal and lawful, but the point I'm making is the things that are going on in this kind of discussion just have no basis of law or fact in all due respect. Now, I know that might offend some people, but I would ask that, Let's start talking about how things are supposed to be structured and not try to replace it with some made-up system where the people think they can do anything they want. We do have need for lawful constitutional government, and the governments created by the framers, both state and federal, not perfect, but there's a mechanism to fix it, and it hadn't been followed, by the way, by and large, uh, particularly as it was, I think, mentioned earlier, since the war between the states, or actually the beginning of it in 1861, I just wish that more people would slow down and start looking at the facts rather than something that's been told to them or they've read somebody's book. Go back and read the original documents. Study how the things are supposed to be structured. And there were all sorts of checks and balances built into the structure of government by the framers. Pennsylvania... Its history is so rich, and I am so blessed to be here. Um, But I'm saying to everybody, slow down and stop assuming things that, frankly, cannot be borne out. 
Exactly. When you brought it up, uh, and I do, because, you know, we, we, we are about an hour and a half into it, we, you know, as long as we don't get uh, knocked off uh, at midnight when we go into our extended period, which is in 40 minutes, uh, then, you know, we should have a good uh, hour and a half left or close to that, you know, minus the, the closeout times that we have to take at the, uh, the end of the show. But, yes, I definitely want to bring her back because I know a lot of folks listening uh, here to the show tonight and also those who will be listening uh, to the archives of the podcast uh, will be interested in how this ties into what is going in in Oregon. And I definitely want to bring it around uh, to that. And I think uh, the first person we'll start that with is our next caller. Could I make a closing comment? Because um, the comment was made that the District of Columbia incorporated in 1871 and Congress had no authority to do that. Let's look at the facts. The District of Columbia is the seat of government, 10 square miles, required by the Constitution. The District of Columbia is under total control of Congress. And what they did in 1871 was to incorporate, to create a a new charter, they actually did it a couple times, for that 10 square mile government, that municipal government, and that is totally under the control of Congress. So to say that they created some massive incorporation of the United States at that time just isn't borne out by the facts. And I would encourage everybody to start reading things on that subject. It's just not not true. So anyway, well, so I'll answer it. Said, it oh, can I make a comment that on that, please? It is, yes. You know, okay, one Bruce, of go ahead, and I do want to bring in uh, Mr. Fry. Okay, I just want to uh, comment. Uh, was it William? Yes. Yeah, William, you you had some very good things to say, sir. Um, some I may agree with, and some I may not. But you know, the whole intent of this is that we have a lawless government right now. Okay, well, we cannot have a judge call um, force the grand jury, and the sheriff does not follow the Constitution. So what I would like to do and what we're all trying to do is if we truly believe in the Constitution and in restoring that, then I would like to hear your suggestions on how you think we should proceed with this. Because this is about all of us learning to come together and to fix the problems that we have. And we have some drastic problems whenever um, a government can make it legal to lie to its people. So what are your solutions to that? How how do you see um, us coming together and fixing this? I yield. Uh, the answer to that is it's a long answer, but in the short is we have the frames of government, state, county, actually counties became four states. Um, we have the structure as it's supposed to be, and that's true with the, the uh, United States of America government. It's supposed to be limited, enumerated powers. Yes, you're right. It's corrupt to the core. I don't disagree with that. The remedy is, in fact, to learn the truth, how it's supposed to be, not like it is, and return to that frame of government. And then if you want to change it, amend the government according to the the process, specifically delineated in the state constitutions and in the federal constitutions. And you gotta have okay. the, you gotta have the people educated. Okay, I mean, and, and, and gentlemen, let's you know let let well, I want to, as I said start bringing things into the the next part of our topic. Uh, it definitely looks like 
that this is something that, as I believe Kelly pointed out, or another gentleman, maybe William pointed out, that, you know, we can have a, a whole new show on it, and I think it would be a great idea to do that. But I do want to bring things on. Unfortunately, we only have a, a three-hour show, but we can uh, definitely have more shows on it. And I do want to bring in Richard, and then I'm going to bring Kelly, because we're going to start bringing this over to the second half of our discussion is how does this all, you know, tie into what's going on in Oregon. So let's go ahead hey, and hey, bring Robert. in. Robert, oh. um, really, oh. really important. Oh, um, I want to, yeah, <clears throat> Richard Fry is a very good man. He has been instrumental in Kansas to change the grand jury laws to the legislature to which if a certain number of signatures are gathered, the court must convene a grand jury. And secondly, the first person to appear um, before the grand jury as a witness is the uh, petition drive person. So uh, Richard Fry is an attorney. He, he loves the Constitution. He has done great things in Kansas. And so I, I just wanted to introduce um, the good things that Richard has done before he comes on. And Thanks, Richard, I Kelly, think that's I uh, your cue. Your mic is on. And just to let folks know that uh, even though you're uh, not speaking through your mic or phone or whichever way you're uh, calling in, I do have the mics open. So if there are uh, or is going to be any background noise, if we can uh, find a way to uh, curtail that, I'd really appreciate it uh, so that we'll be able to hear uh, all the folks on the line uh, without any of the uh, the background noise or anything of that nature. But thank you very much. And we do have Ed on the line. Uh, so thank you very much, uh, Ed. We'll we'll get you into the show. He's our up oh, there. He is again. Uh, our any Federalist friend, and then uh, Naj will be calling in later. Uh, we had him on earlier, but it looks like he dropped his call. But uh, sure, he'll probably be back, or at least hopefully, we'll just like to hear from Naj. But uh, go ahead, Richard. As we say here, uh, the mic is yours. All righty, thanks. Uh, I guess what I would say is that w- that William must be a carpenter, or if he's not, he should be because he hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know his his analysis of of our uh, situation that we're discussing is is absolutely correct, and there is no basis in law or history for the citizens' grand juries. It, it just doesn't exist. Uh, and he's also William is also uh, correct in terms of they can, they're confusing the types of juries. Uh, and Kelly knows about this. Kelly knows about the history. The the grand jury started in the Anglo-Saxon period, and uh, we get the pettit juries, in other words, trial juries from the uh, from the Normans. So, I mean, they're 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 blending these two historical facts together uh, to come up with something that uh, you know is a, is a bastardization, I guess, of both of them, um, and. Uh, you know, I mean, the fact that 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 William may or may not have a solution, which he he did have a solution, which was an appropriate solution uh, to what Bruce is proposing, doesn't add any validity to what Bruce is doing. Uh, I mean, in essence, we could all then have our own little grand juries. I could I could announce and 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 uh, sequester my own grand jury, and my neighbor across the street could do the same. And really, what we're talking about is a form of anarchy. Uh, and I think this is is probably related to the sovereign citizen movement, which is, which is basically an anarchist movement. Uh, but I, and I'd ask them, I'd ask Bruce this. I'd like him to explain to me exactly how it is that we choose whether we're going to be under the federal s- 
system, which is the has the jurisdiction of the sea versus the land jurisdiction, how are we able to 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 uh, make that choice? You know, is it the shoes that we put on in the morning? If we wear blue shoes, then we're part of the continental United States. But if we put our penny loafers on, then all of a sudden we're part of the uh, the real, you know, the, the incorporated United States. Uh, and the other question I would ask is what are they talking about when they mention, they, someone had said something about, I don't know if it was Bruce, a constitutional sheriff. What is a constitutional sheriff? Okay. Oh. Um, now, since you're going to attack me, let me ask you a couple of questions to start with. You're a lawyer, correct? No, I am a lawyer, yeah. And you're a bar majority. member? And you're a bar uh, member. I am not a bar member. One person at a time, please. Bar member. I am not a okay. member of a bar, other than the, the official government. Uh, so you have not. I'm not a member of the bar, bar association, huh? I have not submitted so you, any oath other than an oath to support the Constitution of the United States. Okay. Well, that's good. I like to hear that then. Um, so the answer to your question, um, let's start with. You know, we are a republic, and I've heard lots of things said on here about, you know, we're supposed to be controlled by the government and all of that, and that's not the true meaning of a republic. I'm sorry, people, but if you want to listen to that and you want to be part of that, that's fine. But a republic is truly self-governing, the people governing themselves. No, sir, it's that's, a, that's a democracy. Hold on, hold on, that's one person at a time, gentlemen. One person at a time, uh, gentlemen. Go, go ahead, Bruce, and then, and then Richard will okay. uh, bring in for for comments. Kind of like kind of like the debates we've been seeing uh, a lot lately. Let's say if one person, then the other person could respond. Go ahead, Bruce. And <laughs> and when and I'm, if I may suggest, when somebody is finished with what they're saying, just say I yield the floor, and then somebody knows. No, there you go. That's a good idea. Somebody yeah, else I think can, uh, yeah, somebody set that up. Come I like on that. And, and um, and make comments after that. Okay, so back to my statement is we are a republic. We're not a democracy. We're not, we were never, and the Constitution was never designed to control the people. Constitution was designed to control the government that we, the people, created. We don't create something to control us. That's, um, that's a ludicrous idea. Um, no free people, no sovereign people would create something and then create it to control them. And that's exactly what government does or this government does. It was always designed for the people to control the government and to bring in the government. And so some of these ideas that you guys are putting out there, you have no control over the government that way. Um, how this was designed was that the power of the people was given, a little bit of the power of the people was given to create the counties. And then a little of that power was given away to create the state. And then a little of that power was given away to create the federal protection, um, protecting our borders. Um, I, I don't know where you're getting this idea of, we created a government to control ourselves. But we all have our free will coming from God. And we can choose to be part of a government that's going to control us, 
or we can choose to be free. Our free will to choose that and to change our political status at any time. But if we work for the government, then we have to follow their rules. So if we choose to work for the government, we are giving up our freedom as a sovereign citizen and now are being controlled by the corporation. If you don't like it, quit working for the corporation. And I hope I answered the question that you asked. I yield. Well, you really, didn't, go ahead, Richard. you really didn't answer the question because the question was, how do you make that choice? How, how do you manifest that choice? Uh, and the other thing I would say is that you keep confusing republic with democracy. The republic is a representative government. And as William said, we have a compound republic. A compound republic is what created the unique federalism of America. There's never been a situation in history where we had the same kind of federalism as we have with America, and it's because of the compound republic. The federal government is really comprised of the central government in D.C., the state governments, and the people. That's the federal government. But I, I would still like you to answer that question of how do you manifest your intent to switch between the this corporate U.S. versus the continental U.S. government? How do you do that? What's what's the procedure to do that? Okay. And what's the benefit? What's the benefit from doing that? Do you not have to obey the the laws of the corporate America if you switch to the continental United States? Go, go ahead, uh, Bruce, and reply to that. I'm going to bring Kelly back. Hold okay. on, uh, gentlemen. I do see it at the bottom of the hour, so I do have some programming notes uh, that I have to do. Is, uh, folks, uh, if you're new here to the show, uh, there's different ways to uh, follow Bard's Logic Political Talk, and one of that is here through Blog Talk Radio. There is a follow button where you can push that, and you will be getting emails uh, from time to time uh, about the show, upcoming shows, and our past episodes, uh, so you can follow the show that way. Uh, you could also, if you have topics that you'd like to discuss here on the show or have guests you'd like to try uh, to have on the show as well, you can contact me by going to the website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, check out the different pages we have there. And uh, you could also just sit on the contact page, uh, contact me. And you could also uh, follow me on Twitter uh, on the home page. Uh, where you can just uh, click a button, it'll take you there. And so here's how we're going to get, and again, that's www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And so here's how we're going to do it. Uh, Bruce, I'm uh, going to give you the reply, then bring it back to Kelly, who's going to bring things back to our second part of our discussion tonight, and how all of this uh, relates to what's going on uh, at the Hammond Ranch in Oregon. And then we have uh, Ed, our anti-federalist friend on the show, and we also have Cindy, who'd like to chime in. And Naj, if you're uh, still out there listening and you'd like to uh, chime in, uh, go ahead and give us a call back and uh, push the one on uh, your number dial, and we'll get you into the show. So let's go ahead and bring it back to you, Bruce, and then Kelly. And then, as I said, we'll bring in Ed and Cindy, and then we'll bring uh, things back around. And anyone else out there, because I do see some callers, uh, if you'd like to chime in, just push the one on your number dial, and uh, I'll do a little call screening there, get uh, your name, and then we will get you into the show. So let's bring it back to you, Bruce. Thank you. Okay, to try to answer that question yet once again, because I kind of did, but I'll try to be more clear with it this time. When we are born, we are sovereign, which means 
that we have our free will to choose and do as we will, as long as we don't harm someone else. And our laws to follow are not that of the government. Um, we can't serve two masters and still believe in in God. Our the Bible tells us that it's. I mean that goes all the way back to the beginning of time. We are to follow um, our Ten Commandments, and that is our law to follow. Now we can choose because we have free will given to us by our Creator. We can choose to give up that free will. And to follow a government's law instead. And we can do that at any time. Um, But that is our choice given to us by our creator. So we can choose to be part of the government and follow the government's laws and be serving two masters. Or we can choose not to serve two masters and only to follow God. I yield. Well, that's what, uh, like as I said earlier, uh, that we could you know, do an entire show, if not even not a series. And I know, Kelly, we've uh, discussed going that on a number of occasions, having some series about this. Because, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting point that I think Bruce makes, uh, you know, as well. So it definitely would like to see, you know, delving more into that. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it back to you, Kelly, so we can bring this into uh, the second portion of what we want to have discussed tonight. Go ahead, Kelly. Well, yeah, I wanted to compliment Susan because, you know, she's a regular guest and she's kind of studied this stuff as well. Had some references, actually. Um, <clears throat> regular caller. Um, yeah, we were talking about democracy versus a republic. A democracy is where three lions and two lambs decide what's for lunch. A democracy is where three kids tell mom and dad that chocolate cake is for breakfast every day. But in uh, Prince versus U.S., Justice Scalia, I'm a fan of his, Um, Justice Scalia penned that in this country we have a system of dual sovereignty, states versus uh, the federal government, to keep each other in check. And that was a brilliant statement in Prince versus U.S. Um, So we definitely have a republic. A a republic is when a charter happens. The charter is like the Magna Carta, the first charter that was penned by Langton at uh, Runnymede. And since then, over 100 nations have fired their king and, and gotten a parliament. So um, it's really important to understand the, the value of a republic. Now, I wanted to do, I'm eventually into um, the Oregon situation with Hammond Ranch, but locally there was a bunch of citizen grand jury people. A guy's name was Robert, and I went to one of his meetings, and people were signing up. He was very affluent and very convincing, and people were signing up to be called on the county citizen grand jury. I might be different from the common law, Bruce. But, but I, I called him one day, and it's kind of followed up on how that was going, and I'm like, Okay, so you got this parallel parallel government going on at the same time, okay? Now, your citizens' grand jury is issuing orders and they're not being obeyed. The sheriff's not arresting. Where is this going to go if it has to? I mean, I cornered him, and basically he said, we're going to pick up guns. Okay, parallel government. You know, the, the, the sheriff, um, I have an email from Sheriff Mack, and I asked him, what do you think about this common law? grand jury indictment, and he, he responded in an email, I don't think there's a sheriff in the land that's going to uh, arrest somebody from a common law grand jury indictment. And by the way, that's the improper term. It's actually presentment. If you study Blackstone's commentary on the law, uh, volume 4, chapter 23. Anyway, so let's go ahead and just say that the, the common law grand jury issues an order, uh, or um, in your more recent one, which I saw on your Facebook page, which you posted, it says here, 
We the People, Fayetteville Common Law Grand Jury of Oregon, in the Grant County Sheriff's Office, Oregon, with the seal there from the uh, Oregon Statewide Grand Jury, also stamped by the Florida, and the other one, other stamp came from, I see it as, let's see, Oregon, Florida, and Nebraska. Okay, so you have the seals affecting the, the county there, and I, it looks like to me you're calling up the, um, possibly it looks like the militia might be ready to go join with the sheriff. Now, the sheriff, if people want to be deputized as a posse member, it looks like the common law grand jury of Oregon is authorizing Sheriff uh, Glenn Palmer to go ahead and pick people he wants um, under his posse. But what if the sheriff will not do anything, Bruce? Is is the militia going to be called up by the, uh, a grand jury order so that the militia goes and, and starts arresting uh, federal agents for, like, Hammond Ranch? Because this is really important. And so, you know, we're talking about Hammond Ranch here. Uh, Finnecum, um, who had this post, it was a fraudulent post, wasn't you and I, aren't you? Because you don't, you know, you were concerned about the the, the document we talked about on Saturday. But if it comes to it, and um, the militia is ordered up by the um, common law grand jury to deal with a situation like the Hammond Ranch. I mean, we can use the Hammond Ranch and, and get into the Hammond Ranch. How um, how does how does that work? And we ought to go probably into the, a little bit about the militia statutes and see how that works with with the grand jury because it, if if properly done under case law and history and the way it, it was uh, originated, if it's properly done, it could have an effect. If it's improperly done, there could be men believing and being misled to go ahead and, and actually spill blood and get killed. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to have on one's conscience. So the um, research and documentation and the references and resources have to be all there. Um, I'm kind of talking out loud here, but just tell me how you know, what your next step is with with uh, the Hammond Ranch and, and the murder of uh, Finnegan. Well, first of all, let me state that, you know, as a judge, I don't know what the grand jury is doing and what they're going to put out. Um, you know, that would be a conflict of interest for me to know that. So I make no decisions where that's, that is concerned. Um, that is the people of the county um, that are part of that grand jury trying to figure out the most lawful way to deal with a tyrannical government that will flat out murder a person with his hands up. I mean, how do we deal with that, people? And that's what we're all here to decide is, okay, we have a problem in this country. Um, we have a government that is not only broke, it is murdering and lying to its people. How do we fix that? I think what we need to be talking about here is, okay, how do we come together as a nation and we solve this? Bickering about, you know, whether whether or not uh, it's lawful this way and not lawful that way. Let's come together as a nation and decide how to solve these problems. That's what we're trying to get people to do. Now, the grand jury that is seated right now, I don't have control over they're trying to figure out what is best to handle the corruption in their county. And I, I don't even have contact with them. 
I'm not supposed to have contact with them. So I can't tell you what they're going to do or what their thoughts are or what they're trying to do. This is people from that county trying to decide, okay, we got a huge problem here. And instead of us all arguing and bickering about this, the best thing that we can do is come together and help them. You know, let's all come together and stop arguing about how we do it, and let's all come together with the solution of how to handle this tyrannical government that we have. And if you people don't believe that we have a tyrannical government uh, that's selling us out to the United Nations, that is, that is creating wars in our name and that we're paying for, that we don't agree with these wars. They're all being for, fought for bankers and for, um, for uh, gold or oil or mineral rights or profits. You know, we got to stop this, people. We've got to come together, and we've got to find a way to support what these people are doing and help them. They have a tyrannical government that is running over their county. They need help. They don't need us out here arguing. They need us to help them figure out the lawful way, the moral way to fix a solution. And I think that's what we should be concentrating on. I yield. Okay, well, thank and you. Kelly, and then, uh, in, in the previous conversation, I believe, uh, we were having where the gentleman there was, you know, shot in the, what would you uh, say, shot in the head while he was uh, laying down on the ground. Uh, There's some video out there on that? Somebody had uh, told me, somebody I trust um, displayed that to me. I mentioned I haven't confirmed that. but I have uh, seen the I video. Heard, Oh, you have? He was on the ground. I have. Yeah, and he had his hands up, people. And when he reached down, it was because he was shot in the side. And if if any of you think that if you have your hands in the air and you get shot in your side, you're not going to reach for your side, well, I'm telling you, you got better um, control of your uh, um, reflexes than I do. Pain. Yeah, reflexes. Wow. Yeah, I, I was we have... a video where they said, oh, yeah, he was putting his hands in his pockets, and that's when they shot him. Now, the, the video shows him with his hands up when he was shot. When he fell into the snow, he was, his hands were still up. So, anyway, you can believe the video, which I have no reason to doubt. Um, anyway, wow. back to back to this comment. Uh, that, well, this is, so, for, for, uh, hey, 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 Will. Bruce, yeah, yeah. I, I want to throw uh, something out here real quick. All right. Well, go, go ahead, Kelly. But I've got two, I've, I've got two other folks in the line. You'd, you'd like to chime? You want to chime in? So I want to be able to I want to be able to bring them in because you know I definitely want everyone to get get an opportunity uh, to talk. So let's go ahead and as I said, I mean, folks, we're definitely gonna have to do another show on this. I think if, if everyone here <laughs> yeah. uh, wants yeah. to do that. Um, I mean, definitely. It's, uh, I don't think this is something uh, that we could just wrap up in, in one show, especially since you know we want to continue bringing uh, things together with what's going on in, in Hammond and, and see, make sure it's not going to be something that we're not going to see. You know, we've got the Bundy Ranch and then this, and then see if it's going to keep uh, perpetuating itself. But let's go ahead and bring in Ed, and then we have Cindy on the line. But first, let's bring in Ed. Ed, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing good. Ed? Good talk. Talk to you again. Anyways, uh, what you're talking about tonight reminds me of a book I just finished reading. It's a fairly new book. It's called The Great Divide. Uh, 
and it's about Washington and Jefferson. And, you know, and the great divide is the fact that there's those who want decentralization of government versus centralization of government. And the great divide by Fleming, uh, I, I suggest you read it because it's really, you know, we had this problem back in those days too, and it, it's still going on. And the great divide is do we have how strong should the central government be and how much should the local and the state governments be? And Washington wanted a strong central government, and he had the Whiskey Rebellion, which was similar to Shays Rebellion. And the largest um, force that Washington ever led was not against the British, but was against his own people in western Pennsylvania. And they went out there, and, and, and I think, well, when I was a libertarian member in Pittsburgh, but I live in Florida now, uh, we named our um, libertarian branch the James McFarlane because he got killed during the Whiskey Rebellion, similar to what went on in Oregon. And this is going on. The Great Divide is there. Do we want strong centralized government, or like Washington wanted, or do we want decentralized government? And Washington turned into Adams, and Adams had this, the Alien Sedition Act. And after the Alien Sedition Act, it's when Washington or Jefferson and Madison both came out with the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions. And the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions are for states' rights and local rights. So we're fighting this battle between should the state and local governments be over the federal government. And we're, we're doing this dual federalism, and I believe that Jefferson was right. And, you know, your caller or your speaker out there is saying, hey, yeah, the counties, we need to keep the power at the, the local level. And that's the best way to go with it. But there's going to be people, people that think, that, hey, you know what? Obamacare is the way to go with it. And centralization of power is the way to go with it. And we're always going to have that divide. And that's what we got to have to figure out here in America. Which side are you on? Which side of the divide are you on? Are you for the people on the local level? Or are you for the big government policies? This is Bill. The answer to that question is institutions and the federal constitutions and those people who take oaths of office, everyone in government is responsible to their oath of office. They don't even read those documents. We have a lawless government because the constitutions, frankly, biblical law and constitutional law is not being followed. You want to solve this problem, you've got to understand how it's supposed to work and reinstitute that and have the people, frankly, back in charge, but not the way that this uh, grand jury concept is put forward, but constitutionally. You have three branches of government at every level. And in the county, the sheriff is the chief executive officer in the county, not the district attorney. To understand how it's supposed to work. Um, so anyway, um, a lot of discussion, but um, the answer is constitutional government, where those in government strictly follow their oath of office. They understand it and they follow it. If they follow up properly, and that's the problem, and that's what Jefferson had to deal with, because Washington and Hamilton weren't following it, and the Federal Reserve is not constitutional, and we're up against those things. So what's not constitutional? The Federal Reserve. Well, that that's a, you kind of change the subject. I agree. There's a lot of things that the the central government does. We don't have a federal government anymore. So this this discussion 
needs to get back to some facts of how it got changed actually, when it got changed, by whom did it get changed, how did they change it. Those are answers which, frankly, I have documentation to prove. And I just think there's a lot of information talked about. And the remedy is, first of all, we the people have to understand the government we're supposed to have, which we don't. And we have to demand it in a lawful way. Not I agree with that. some alternative method of having grand juries that aren't lawful. And and, and that's, that's my point. The law is there. It's been subverted, been changed unconstitutionally. The constitutions have been changed unconstitutionally. Go back and understand what the framers put in place and get back to the lawful governments that we're supposed to have here. Unique on the earth, by the way. I yield the floor. Okay, and let's go ahead and bring in Cindy. We're actually almost to the uh, the top of the hour, so uh, unfortunately, we, you know, once we hit about six minutes or so, uh, we'll be unable to get any more callers to, you know, call into the show. Now, we do have some who uh, are still listening in and, and not push the one in the number dial to chime in, and uh, that's okay, too, because if uh, you're not called in at 347-945-7428, uh, you will not have, be able to listen to the extended period of the show, uh, which, although will not be able to be heard live, uh, will be part of the podcast, uh, which will be available shortly after uh, the end of the show tonight. Uh, so if you'd like to listen to it live, and perhaps even to chime in, call us at 347-945-7428, or just listen to uh, the podcast uh, when it's available. And, of course, uh, you could share the podcast uh, with other folks uh, using the link here uh, to the show on uh, BardsLogicBlogTalk.com or here on uh, Blog Talk Radio. And so let's go ahead uh, while I'm reading that, bring Cindy in. Thank you very much, Cindy, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm fine. Um, wow, I, I wish there was a solution for this whole conversation. That's my my main thing is what do we do about it now, okay? It's a big problem we have, right. and there's We've gone way far away, but there's a big problem. My 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 opinion is I'm I'm headed down the road with Bruce. Um, we do have a tyrannical government, and um, oh by the way, I did watch that video, and um, that man was murdered. Mr. Finnegan was murdered, um, and uh, I hope that uh, I hope that the sheriff in Oregon will will recognize the necessity of them taking control of what's going on in their own state um because that was that that i don't even have words for it it's incredible but anyway um what we actually are from what i have read um is a a democratic republic we're both um what makes us so democratic is that the states were given more of the power of the people um, you know, of the people, for the people, and by the people, um, because they had such autonomy. But we are a republic because the union of those states is held together um, by the power of a three-branch government that is elected by the people. Okay, so basically it all comes down to us. And if this whole thing has blown up on us, and if we have lost what we started out with, it's our fault. Because um, we did not do our homework, and we did not do what we were supposed to do. Let me let me give you a um, John Adams 
said this, I must study politics and war that my sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. In other words, if we don't, if we don't figure out what's going on and if we don't do our homework and we don't study these issues and study the people who we are trying to elect and then watching out after them and holding them accountable once they do get into office, if we don't start doing that, uh, well, you know, it's all, it's all gone and it's our fault. And this didn't start with us. Um, we all know that it started a long time ago. Um, but basically, our, our constitution, our form of government, was um, basically hammered out. I mean, with arguing and jockeying and scrutiny of each other's opinions. Our founders agonized over this constitution. And, and when they walked out, uh, they, they told people that this was an experiment, basically. There, there's been, they called it a republic. But it's basically an experiment because no other republic has actually functioned this way or the way it was supposed to. And and basically, it, it comes down to uh, another quote of John Adams, which I have quoted on this show many times. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So the fact that we the Christians have allowed, uh, well, we have just fallen off on the job, basically. We have, not, we have not kept our country uh, a Christian nation. We have laid back in our church pews and went to sleep. And Damn. we have allowed the moral condition of our country to decline and deteriorate. We have allowed um, our children to grow up not having any more uh, to do with the church than... Uh, we would have to do with the man in the moon. In fact, we have more to do with the man in the moon uh, than a church sometimes. And um, our children are not, we don't have family altar anymore. Our children are growing up not knowing why we worship the Lord Jesus. They have no clue why there should be morals. Um, Now, I'm not saying that we, because I include me, (laughs) because I did try to teach that to my children, but because the world around me had so much influence, um, for a while my children went astray. Now, praise the Lord, they've come back. Um, but basically, our Constitution has got to be saved by the people that it was written for, not by, um, you know, the the, the liberal out there. They, they, cannot, they cannot tell us what our Constitution is about. If the liberals try to tell us what our Constitution is about, they're going to get it wrong. Because Now, first of all, John Adams and many of the other founders wrote prolifically. And we have uh, most of their discussion was well documented uh, in letters, speeches, uh, convention notes. You know, they're there's so much out there for us to look at, but they have squelched all that in our in our education system. There is no more study of John Adams' quote anymore in our history books. There is no quote about, there's no one to explain 
what Thomas Jefferson meant in his letter to the Rhode Island Baptists that there was a separation between a wall of separation between the um the church and the state. Nobody is there to explain these things. Nobody is there to 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 proliferate the idea of of the the brains in the in that room. Those men were such thinkers and they really did come up with a good idea. But I think the the crucial the crucial point is it was made for moral and religious people. And we have become other than that. And so it is now inadequate for us. Can I comment? Yes, go ahead and yeah, then we're going like to bring Bruce it back to, to... Yes, I'm going to Bruce comment and then I'm going to bring it back to Susan. We want to bring things back around on our roundtable discussion here uh, as best as I can. And then after Susan, we're going to bring David back in uh, and uh, we'll move from there. Go ahead, uh, Bruce, and then Susan, and then David. Go ahead, Bruce. And and I'm sorry you didn't catch your name, dear, but that was very well said. And yeah. if in the time that we have remaining, if I can only do one thing, and that is to convince people, you know, we were we were brought up in a society to learn to divide and conquer and that we're right with everything, Okay. And if you're not doing it our way, then you're not doing it, or you're not doing it right. If I can please get everybody to understand, we have a problem. We have a broken government. We have um, corrupt uh, voting systems and all of that. The only way that we are going to be able to solve these problems is if we quit arguing about them and we come together and try to find moral solutions in order to fix this. We have a severe crisis in Oregon. I mean, you have got a government that has a town, um, you know, totally entrapped. They're taking all of their land, they're taking all of their resources to be able to make money and to be able to survive. Can we please people come together and offer solutions Instead of fighting with one another, let's try to help these people in Oregon come up with solutions and stop fighting about what to do. I yield. Well, you know, the the government has been dangling this bait in front of um, the people for so long that the people do really believe that they are a democratic government. They think that they're the ones um, that are... Uh, making their own decisions they're they're giving them the illusion that they're in control by their vote but as you said it is it is all owned by a corporation it is a business to somebody and it isn't us um and 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 we're just given the illusion um of of having some kind of a say in things and somehow we have to get back to where uh, and here's the problem they have all the weapons they have the big weapons. We cannot fight against the kind of weapons our government has. Um, I, I'm not sure what the militias think that they can do. Um, so it, it can't be a fight. Somehow this has to be solved in a diplomatic matter. But the, the question is, 
what is that solution? And I and no, I haven't heard anybody come up with it yet. This is this is Bill. I you know this is interesting, but the suggestions that have been laid out here. I, you know, I happen to be the Pennsylvania coordinator for Sheriff Max. Uh, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association have been since 2009, and and if you think about what he's been talking about, you need to have an understanding of how the government's supposed to work, and you need to have some way of enforcing the law. And there's two ways of doing that. And this idea that anybody can do anything—that's not any kind of organized society. There's always some structure of government. Uh, it's in your family you have structure of government. This is um, what we have to do. But back to the sheriff. The sheriff. Yes, I'm the king of the castle. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Had to blurt that out. In the <laughs> Pardon me? I said, the I'm the king is... of the castle. As I slam my fist down on the desk. I'm sorry, I digress. Go ahead. <laughs> the sheriff is the elected executive officer in the county. He's been minimized to a courthouse lackey because of the perversion by, certainly driven by attorneys and judges and professors of law, and there's all other people doing it. But without, if you think about it, the courts are the only ones that could do this. The point I'm making is, if you have a true structure of government, then the sheriff can, in fact, deputize in a posse everybody in the county, every adult. Um, the militias can be formed, but usually they're on county levels, and usually it used to be the sheriff was the lieutenant in charge of the militia. But that's our history. Uh, it doesn't have to be the, the sheriff to be the lieutenant. And the militias report to the governor of the state. The states are the superior party compact that created the United States of America government. You start understanding how it's supposed to work, then the answers are very straightforward. They're not lawless. Or you're going to have some somebody create a uh, a document that allegedly gives power to arrest somebody, and then people get together and they're under this false impression, and frankly, they're going to be murdered. And I, may I comment? If you're, go, if you're going to go Bruce's route, in all due oh. respect, then you're going to get frankly, you're going to get murdered. That's what's going to happen. May I? Who's asking the comment? Because I didn't want to bring Susan back in. Uh, this is Bruce. Okay, yes. okay, well, our guests, so go ahead go ahead, comment, and then let's bring in Susan, and then uh, we'll bring it back over to you, David. Go ahead, Bruce. Okay, sir, um, what happens when the governor that is supposed to, you know, control this militia is corrupt? See, that's the problem we have. All levels of our government, from the county government on up, are correct. I mean, are corrupt. And if you look at what the grand jury has tried to do with the orders they put out, um, they're calling for the sheriff to be put in charge of the militia, just like you suggested. So, again, let's focus on solutions to the pro problem instead of arguing about how it should be done. Uh, yeah, it, it maybe isn't. it should have been done that way, but if you have a corrupt governor, governor of the state um, that is not going to do the right thing, then what you're suggesting doesn't work. So let's come up with something that works. Because what works, when, the, what works. when the governor is part of the problem and got her hands in the cookie jar and being paid off as well, then, of course, she's going to do whatever somebody is paying her for. All right. And she's not doing the will of the people. 
How do we get back to doing the will of the people? You have people in a county there that are suffering, and the government is not helping them with that. So what do they do? So instead of trying to tell me what is correct, give me solutions that fit this situation here. I the situation. I will give you. I'll give the answer. The situation is that that's a state issue. It's a county issue. And if you're going to have somebody outside the county doing something in some magical grand jury and have some sort of order, it is actually the county grand jury. But you need to have the people educated, and that's where we've got to start, is educating and organizing at the neighborhood level, at the township level, if that's what you have at the county level, and the state level. The people do have to exert their power, and we haven't been doing it. And that's the remedy, but education is the first we got to stop talking about doing these crazy things and start getting people organized so that they will instruct and elect, but instruct people. There can be impeachments. There's in, there, in fact, are lawful indictments. But you have to have some way of enforcing those, and you just can't issue a piece of paper. That piece of paper is meaningless. And that's the idea. The grand jury is ahead of itself. And what you're asking the grand jury to do is, frankly, not lawful. Uh, no, I mean, it. what's not lawful is the government killing well, people with their hands up. That is the problem, okay? If, yeah, if but your solution was going to work, then the government would not be killing people, and that's happening right now. This is uh, not uh, something that we have time to, you know, spend years trying to educate people while the government is killing people. That is the problem. Okay. And it's only the people that can and stand up and correct that. This is, this is not and going anywhere because Joe, you've, already concluded, okay, and, you've already concluded that your system is going to work and what you're doing is not lawful. If you want to do something, make it lawful. And you start with the county people, and the county people have to come together and be smart enough to say no. That's exactly what Jefferson and Madison were talking about, nullification or interposition. You start understanding what the lawful remedy is. It is in the hands of the people but not what you're proposing, and do it right, and I'd be right on board, but the people in the county in Oregon are the ones who have to, to do it. And, then, and sir, the, the, the county, the grand jury is made up from the people in that county. They're the ones that are putting forth the orders of what to do. So you're talking through both sides of your mouth. You're not no, making any sense. Bruce, hold on, hold on, gentlemen. And then I'll bring, hold, on, we're getting, hold on, gentlemen, and I'm going to bring Susan in. Bruce, what, where, where are you? Where are you from right now? Where are you at? Um, where am I? North um, Where am I? I'm sorry. What was your question? What state are you in? What state I'm are you in? Colorado. In? I'm in Colorado. You're in Colorado. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring yeah. in and again. Okay. Let's go ahead. I got some out. Someone's got some outside. Thank you. They got rid of it. Okay. Let's go ahead and bring in Susan at this time. As a, you know, as I said, I mean, unfortunately, it's at times. Winding down, we'll definitely have to have these uh, talks and debates, and I, I definitely like a good debate on the show. Uh, but let's go and we'll we'll do it again, I'm sure. At least hopefully we will. Uh, let's go ahead and bring in Susan. We haven't heard from her for a while, so Susan, uh, you have the floor. Go ahead, and then that's so we're going to bring our thanks back over to you, David. Susan. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Well, you know, this is this is one of the, this is one of those shows, Susan, and, and we've seen this before uh, on the show that we definitely could probably do uh, a fourth hour, if not a, a back-to-back show if we could. But uh, unfortunately, uh, we won't have that, don't have that kind of time. But uh, I, I would, you know, hopefully we'd be able to revisit uh, 
this topic because it definitely is important. But go ahead. Okay. Now, someone, I don't remember which gentleman, um, asked what uh, is a constitutional sheriff. I will tell you. Sheriff Mack, Sheriff Aperio, Sheriff David Clark, and Sheriff San Juan County, Sheriff Rick Eldridge, who waited on horseback in the sagebrush of the canyon in southeastern Utah. Thirty-odd deputies were scattered with him. They were braced for a mass act of motorized civil disobedience, frustrated by unconscionable acts of Bureau of Land Management. All right? They were there to defy federal regulations, the 40 or 50 followers, to protest what they consider heavy-handed management of public lands. All right. There's a big difference between the bunnies and me, Lyman said, and Lyman happened to be one of the leaders. Uh, also, uh, Cleveland Bundy was there. He said, I have a sheriff standing next to me. That, sir, is a constitutional sheriff. Now, what happened from that, uh, many county sheriffs came from the rural west who believe themselves above the reach of federal government. Uh, They chose to be part of this movement. This constitutional sheriff's semi-moment was in... um, was something that they they chose to be part of. Um, Max's defiance has made him a folk hero to the then Benjamin Patriot movement, but um, and he has been attacked also. But anyway, what happened was they stood tall and no violence happened because they were able to contain it. The um, they were protected the BLM officers, they protected protesters, they were there to keep control of it. And uh, the title of this is called Constitutional Sheriff Declared War on Obama. All right, then. Now, if you uh, go, Sheriff says, uh, Sheriff Mike Lewis said, if the feds take our guns, there will be civil war, no question about it. That, sir, is a constitutional sheriff. I rest my case. And since you gave a rest of the case, gave the floor to me. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, um, and, and things were working, in my opinion. Obama, because I believe it was William, perhaps, who brought up impeachments. Uh, why the hell hasn't he been impeached yet? And why the hell hasn't Hillary Clinton been indicted yet? Uh, not just for, you know, for all the things they've been doing. And what, what about, you know, and Benghazi as well. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring it over uh, to David. And so, David, let's say, you know, over there in Oregon, you know, the, the feds are there, and they are actually killing, uh, we, we even say here alleging, and, and whoever gets the background stuff going on, let's let's limit that, please. Um, and so if, there are, if the feds are there in Oregon and they're they're killing folks and, and so many even alleged saying murdering folks, who would it uh, be to call upon the militia or whoever uh, to, you know, deal with the feds and, and what they're doing to the people in their county? Well, I've got to try to make people. It, I, I've got to try to make it a simple answer. To <laughs> there, there's a lot of pieces to your question, unfortunately, from the point of view of understanding how we've gotten to where we are. But in the the net net of it, in the any one of the 50 states at the time at this time, the uh, person who has the authority most of the time to call forth the militia of the state, and keep in mind that the militia is a state governmental army, 
defined by statutory law and has been all the way back to the very first uh, militia statute in 1638 in the colony of Rhode Island, the governor is the one who has the ultimate authority as the commander-in-chief of the militia to call forth the militia to, uh, in the states to not only execute the laws of the state, but to suppress insurrection in the state or to repel invasion in the state or to do any other acts which the governor believes should be within the vested power of the militia. However, we have to stop and ask a question I think there's a fundamental question that has to be raised here. And I can ask it of anybody in the group to chime in and, and share you know, a, a one-word response. And the question is, is the militia public or private? And that is the key question that we need to start wrapping our minds around. So I ask any of you that wants to respond. The militia, as def- as it's not defined in the Constitution. It's just stated to exist. That militia, which would have been the pre-constitutional militia up to the point the Constitution used the term, is that public or private? Anybody? Can I comment? Just, well, just let, the let one word. I, I'm going I'm to answer it, but I want, I want people to tell me what they think. I, this is Bruce. I would say, well, and I'm going to answer that, and I'm going to say, and I'm going to say in the instance of, of public being governmental, I would say private. Okay. Um, so and, one person says me, private. Anybody else? Okay. And, and I'm going to answer that a different way. Um, you're still going about this wrong. What do you do? No, I'm do? not. No, it's a very, no, this well, is well, a hold very on, fundamental. Hold on, Joe. Hold on, guys. No. Let's go ahead and do it. Let, wait. Wait, I, I don't like interrupting just, folks. Just answer the question. Don't, don't but go I'm going and throw time. Out. Let's go ahead. Wait a minute. Let's go ahead and I tell you what. Here's how we're going to get do it, gentlemen, ladies. Um, and, and let's go ahead and, and play this out because why not? Okay. I said, you know, host here. I said private. And what we're going to do is we are going to go down the line and each person just give one word. Let's let's come on, folks. Let's have a little fun. One it's word. And, no. and so one word: public or private. And I'll say your name, and you say public or private. That's all you do. Let's let's go ahead and do it. It's, it's after midnight here, and so let's have a little fun, Kelly. Public or private? And whoever's got background noise, please don't alleviate it. I don't have to start muting mics to find out wh- which one that is. So, Kelly, go ahead. Public, private. I said private. <clears throat> Kelly, go. Public. A well-regulated militia, meaning the state regulates. No, no, public. not one word. Nope, we're playing a game public, here, guys. Public. One word. <laughs> Susan. Not that simple. <laughs> One word. Oh, come on, just do it, guys. You said it. Let's do it. Public or private? I I guess I'm going to go with private, but it's not that simple. Well, okay, William. It's One private word. until it's called into service. Okay, what if we said? One word, Bruce. I'm going to go with One public. word. Okay, and Ed. The peoples. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, that wasn't one of the words there, but I'll, I'll, I'll take it anyway because I like you. But uh, <laughs> go ahead, David. <laughs> okay, the answer is it is always public, never private. Whatever they are privately, they would be a paramilitary organization for mutual self-defense. But they're always public 
in the history of the American government all the way back to 1638, every single one of the individual colonies had pages and pages of legislation passed by their legislative entities in every single colony that defined how the militia was organized, where all the men of that particular colony were conscripted according to law to be a member of that local militia. And they were required to be mustered between four and eight times a year and to maintain their own weapon, which they were to purchase in the free market, and they were to make sure it was always ready. They could be uh, literally cited by an officer at any time that that weapon was in their possession and that it was completely ready. And they, it were, there were even laws that said when you go to church, you must take your weapon with you. Uh, they, they were also fined if they didn't have all their equipment in order. They were fined if they didn't go to musters. And even if you were a conscientious objector, you were required to go to musters even without a weapon. And you were also required to participate in some aspect of militia duty. That was the case between mm-hmm. 1638 all the way to 1903 to 1908 in every one of the 46 states at that time. It's always public. Okay, and, the, and I'm saying private, which I knew was going to be public, but I said private because I'm thinking on the on these lines. Okay, is that nobody nobody asked what me? Are the, what, what, what are what what that's what, true. And, and, what? Right. Nobody right. asked me. <laughs> ask Cindy. Ask oh, Cindy. my gosh, Cindy. Cindy, public or private? How did I miss that? My I'm answer, sorry. You know my what? Because I don't have your name marked down on here, Cindy, because I, I, I have your your number memorized, so I don't have because uh, we've been talking for, you know, four years. We've been friends <laughs> for four years now. So I have your phone number memorized, so I don't have your name on my list here because I just look at your number. And so I was just this reading the names as I went down the list. <laughs> You're That is why okay. I missed it. I'm my, just being honest. Like, uh, all right. My answer, give you the floor now. my answer is both because there is a provision that the government, uh, that the United States government is supposed to be in charge of um, uh, pulling in a tax for the purpose of protecting our nation. Okay, that has to be done through a militia. It's also it's also private because I am allowed to me and my neighbors. We are allowed to get together. And somebody, okay, I'm hearing a conversation somewhere in the background, folks. Let's. I don't know where that's coming from. (laughs) Somebody didn't mute themselves. Anyway, um, and then it's private because. I have the right to me and my neighbors get together and protect our property um, in whatever manner we we feel. Now, when you talk about militias these days, it's almost a point because militias are Robert, can you mute that person? Yeah, can you mute whoever that is? Okay, anyway. I think I did. Go ahead. I did. When we are. I had to find it. Okay, when yeah, we so- are okay, when 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 we're faced with a government who has huge abilities, nuclear abilities, um, smart weapons, and the the amount that they have, 
just think of the billions of dollars of rounds of ammunition we know that they just bought. Okay, when you look at what our government has, um, and we know that the founders wanted us to have militias so that we could protect ourselves against a, a tyrannical government, basically mm-hmm. what we've allowed to happen, what we'd allowed to happen is to these, the, the government has just totally gone over our heads um, and, and, and used, they, they kind of snuck up on us. We're thinking, oh, this is great. Uh, we have these horrible enemies. We have communism. We have Islam. We have all these horrible enemies. We need lots of good weapons to fight those people. And then we put that in the hands of the federal government or the central government, if you want to call it that. And now the states have no way of protecting themselves against our tyrannical government when it becomes that way, which it has become that way. But they want us to stay asleep a little longer before they unleash their complete control to where we go into a communist state or a dictator's uh, state. Uh, what it will actually come out to be is an oligarchy. And um, they want us to stay asleep a little longer. So, uh, you know, they're trying not to alarm us, but things like what's happening in Oregon is going to alarm us to a certain extent, uh, and more people need to know about it, and more people need to hear the truth about it. And um, whether you solve it, one way or you solve it another way, the solving has to be done in broad daylight. People have this people of this nation should be seeing everything that's going on in Oregon right now. But it is being suppressed. It is more important to our people that we hear about the shenanigans of Donald Trump or the birthing problem of Ted Cruz or the the fight between Hillary and Bernie, okay? Those are the important things to our news media right now. If the people knew the importance of the situation going on in Oregon right now, they would be demanding of their news media that they get on this and let them know what's happening. And we need to know what they're doing about it. And because we have such a corrupt judicial system, I see little hope of ever bringing any justice to this situation. But uh, I have to hope anyway, and that's what I'm praying for. But anyway, Robert, my answer to Robert, your question is both. Robert, may I respond Go ahead. and complete my thoughts here? Um, you asked me to answer yeah. a question, but I did have some other points. But getting back and Susan, Go ahead, David. with all due respect, to say the answer is both is not a correct constitutional answer because even after 1903 to 1908 when the militia of the several states the constitutional term was changed it's not the militia in the several states it's the militia of the several states it is always a state governmental army and that's what it is now you're correct that in our current situation, because of what they did, and it's very easy to prove what they did, that they did not eliminate the militia purpose. 
1903 to 1908, but they eliminated the militia entity between 1903 and 1908 and replaced it with federal troops in what was called the National Guard. And that is in the statutes of every state of the Union as the organized militia of that state, territory, or the District of Columbia. And that is not the militia of the several states, but the militia of the several states is currently dormant. Now, what you are defining would probably be called um, and put into place in the, in the National Defense Act of 1916, the unorganized militia. And the problem with that term is oh, it means we cannot organize. It's called the unorganized militia of the United States. It's an oxymoron. It's an unconstitutional term, but it's defined in the statutes at 10 U.S.C. 311B. And it exists, and every able-bodied male between the ages of 17 and 45 is a member of that entity if they're not in the National Guard and they have not served in the military. So, but the problem we have is we don't know this vital information. Now, I'm going to stop there because, and this is germane only to the point of this common law grand jury supposedly being authorized to call forth the militia of Oregon. That's the only reason I went down this road. Um, Robert, I'd be very glad to come back and we could spend a whole show talking about this subject. But I wanted to just make sure that this is, that we're all clear that the uh, militia, we have to be clear what it is to know who can call it forth. Now, the problem is Oregon has in their statutes, they actually have sections where they say that certain civil officers in certain situations may have the authority to call forth the militia besides the governor. I haven't looked at the Oregon laws to tell you what those particular civil officers are. In some cases in Florida, for example, at one time, a federal marshal could call forth the militia, a, a mayor could call forth the militia, as well as a governor, and um, even county commissioners could call forth. It just depends. It depends on the state because it's a sovereign state entity. And yes, when called into the actual service of the United States for only one of three purposes, to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, or repel invasions under Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, the the president may call forth the militia. Other than that, the United States government has no authority to call forth the militia of the several states for any purpose. But they got around that by creating the National Guard so that they could then deploy the guys to foreign wars. Right. So this is a whole mm-hmm. issue. Now, that being said, oh. I'm going to leave that. And we can talk about, we can have a whole show where we can banner this around. But I want, I want to go back and just make a few comments and then I'll, I'll yield. Firstly, identifying a disease or a malady exists must be separated from the solution or the remedy. We may agree there's a problem, but that doesn't mean we should just do a right thing in a wrong way to solve the problem if somebody, and I'm not, I'm just saying this as a point in general, not saying Bruce that, you know, although I don't agree with what you're suggesting, you might have a right way, right thing in a right way, but I don't think so myself. Okay. But let's let, let's differentiate the two of these things. Yes, I agree entirely with you. We have got serious problems in this country. But the question is whether putting in place 
an entity that's very vaguely defined in the Constitution, okay, and saying that is the way we fix it, I think is overreach, okay? Now, that being said, let me t- also mention something about constitutional sheriff. Constitutional sheriff, are we talking federal constitutional sheriff? Or are we talking state constitutional sheriff? Because the word sheriff is not in the federal constitution. So constitutional sheriffs, at the very least, would be state constitutional sheriffs. Well, and county. by the way, they're, they're county well, but, 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 Yes, yes, but what I'm saying is where they would be defined constitutionally is in a state constitution, not the federal constitution, Bill. And I agree with you. But, but you know what's ironic? Why is it that these common law grand jury people aren't talking about the common law sheriff? Because the sheriff came out of common law. It's just kind of ironic to me that we don't that they are not going there when there's clearly grounds for the sheriff being recognized as a common law uh, institution and entity and vested power of a person. Okay, I also like to address uh, and respond to Bill. Sorry, to Bruce, in terms of the fact he made a comment of uh, something to the effect of. Uh, that um, the people did not create the Constitution as a means to control the people. Well, that word government, by definition in Black's Law Dictionary, I looked it up while we were talking, by the way, the definition of government in Black's Law Dictionary is the regulation, restraint, supervision, or control which is exercised upon the individual members of an organized jural society. That is a society based on rule of law by those invested with the supreme political authority for the good and welfare of the body politic or the act of exercising supreme political power or control. So to say that the, that the Constitution was not written to control is oxymoronic. And by the way, look at the preamble to the Constitution. We the people, which means all the people of the country, of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and uh, establish this Constitution for the United States of America. The whole point of it was to do those things. In other words, to control those things. Um, so and I and I compl- I very much agree with William's original assessment that he gave at the beginning. In terms of us, we've got to understand what our government is. And G- George Washington said the most important thing to teach our children is the science of government. If we don't understand that, how can we fix it? We must go back to the Constitution. Who, for instance, in the Constitution is supposed to execute the laws of the Union? It's the well-regulated militia, the militia of the several states. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15 says, Congress will have the power to provide for calling forth the militia, the state governmental military, to execute the laws of the Union. And that was removed from the people's power in 1903. By the way, the Virginia Declaration of Rights defines what militia is. The the well-regulated militia is composed of all the people trained to arms, is the only proper, safe, and natural defense of a free state. That's what a militia is. All the people of the state, organized, armed, disciplined, trained, and under governmental 
regulation, well-regulated. The Declaration of Independence tells us what it says, um, um, and we believe that the answer that we must pursue needs to have, as we say it, a plan already devised, a plan that is eminently and unquestionably legal, if at all possible. And by the way, I would encourage every one of you to get the book Three Rights by Edwin Vieira. I say it's the common sense of our day. It's got that much value as a book. Okay, uh, the plan, A plan, uh, as we see it, must quickly work with our existing local governmental institutions using the principle of the Declaration of Independence that states that whenever any form of government is destructive of the ends for which governments are established, which is in a great part to protect our inalienable rights from being violated, it's the right of the people to alter or to abolish that form and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And we also know that it's prudent uh, to not change government for lighter transient causes when it's been long established. And our experience shows us that we're more prone to suffer while evils are sufferable than to alter the forms to which we are accustomed. But, and the key point is, but, when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursue inv invariably the same object, which is to take away our inalienable rights, it is not only our right, but it is our duty to throw off mm -hmm. such government and to provide both, as we call it, new guards as also we would suggest put back some old guards for our future security. And we are pursuing a plan in short order that we'll talk about on another show as to how we can do this. And I completely agree with Bill, and I completely agree with Bruce, that we must have a local bottom-up answer to this problem and it's tied to a thing called subsidiarity. Subsidiarity is the idea that you solve a problem closest to a source at the local level because every problem that happens is local, no matter what one it is. And, but the people doing it must have the vested authority, they must have all of the information, and they must have the mechanism by which they can solve that problem locally, and they must have it under political power that grows out of the barrel of a gun because that's the only place that ultimately political power has to be maintained. And that's why we must control the weapon and never allow it in someone else's hands to control it. I yield. Robert, Angela, Robert do you, can I? Is that Susan? Yeah, go ahead and yes, respond. Yes. And unfortunately, we'll have to start getting ready to okay, take closing um, comments uh, from hurry, people, um, uh, unfortunately. But go ahead. The reason I didn't it was more complicated than private and public is because the argument is usually whether they're state or national, but fundamentally they're local. We are citizens no. of a local community. We may be part, which comes from the word city, we may be part of a larger political entity as a state or a nation, but we are in a local community. And so mm -hmm. that includes a certain uh, surrounding territory around us. We usually identify with our county and mm -hmm. um, our uh, our um, here it is here. Um, people have the right, the duty to organize and train themselves locally using mm -hmm. their own arms. Okay, mm -hmm. and um, if 
a military unit is not called out by official, but by its own members. And so we shouldn't actually adopt the name that would suggest a private association because that would expose its members to legal action or a conspiracy. But there can't be a conspiracy for the entire population of an area. A court can't serve the entire population of process, even if not all of them are present at the meetings. So they said you have to do it through a public thing, through notices uh, that are public, through meetings, and that way they can't say anything. So um, perhaps it's all been done wrong, um, and plus well-regulated militia does not mean regulated by an official. It means yes, it well-trained does. and disciplined. Yes, it, well, yes, well, it well, does. Well-trained it, and disciplined. Well, and I'm looking at lawandliberty.org. A militia uh, can be and should be self-regulated. Okay. May I respond to that? Because it's important we understand this. Go ahead, and then unfortunately we'll have to take closing comments for tonight. Go ahead. The Constitution (laughs) is one statute. We know that because every time a word is used in the Constitution, it must have the same meaning. And in the Constitution, the word regulate is used several times. Congress shall have the power to regulate commerce. Congress shall have the power to regulate money and determine the value thereof a well-regulated militia. The word means the same thing in all three places. It is the statutes. That's what regulated means. And with that, folks, uh, Uh, unfortunately, as I said, i got to get ready to take some uh, closing comments. And first, uh, looks like, unfortunately, uh, Ed, there was the – the the sound was coming back uh, from your mic, but we'll go ahead and uh, got you back open so you can do closing comments. And literally, folks, we're going to have to have maybe a minute each person for their closing comments to get us all in and then for me to be able to close things out for the show. And, of course, I want to thank everyone uh, for calling in and, and your participation and all those out there listening uh, now live and then also uh, in the podcast. So here's how we'll do it, each person. Uh, and this order is going to uh, give a, a one-minute closing comments, and I'll close things out. Uh, so first we'll go with you, Ed, and then we'll go with you, Cindy, and then Richard, and then William, and then David, and then Susan, and Kelly, and then Bruce, uh, you'll be uh, last there. And so, Cindy, you'll be after Ed. So go ahead, Ed. Okay. <clears throat> the snake that killed our fellow lover of liberty was killed by PCDC. You know what PC is. You know what DC is. I call it political control by the district of corruption. And we got to stand up to these idiots because they are the ones that are trying to take our freedom away. And if we don't stand up to them, they will take our freedom away. They are supposed to be our servants, not our masters. I yield. Thank you very much, uh, Ed Sunny. We have raised ourselves such a group of mamby-pamby girly boys in this country for the last few decades that... Not John uh, Wayne's anymore. If we tried to get back to that kind of a, a militia where everybody play, played a part, every able-bodied man had a gun, and uh, and 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 the government and the state government 
had a, uh, you know, forts, forts all through its state uh, with um, the proper um, kinds of weapons that would really protect us against our, our government. Uh, I don't know. That sounds laughable to me. It would scare the. It would scare some of these guys to death. I'm 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 looking around my neighborhood here at the men that I know, and um, I live in the country, so I see I see a lot of guys around here that, you know, either have guns already. They all hunt. They all fish. They you know they're they're manly men around here. But you you roll into the city, and you see these little, you know, skinny jeans guys and uh, you know they're they're just so uh, feminine, <laughs> and uh, you know they're all you know they've all been told by the women's movement you got to get in touch with your feminine self. I don't want any feminine men around me. I I want men that are men protecting me, and I don't know if we can ever get back to that. Yeah, that's a can. Uh, I, I hope we can, but I, I kind of concur that's definitely happening. Thank you very much. Uh, Cindy, and then that brings, uh, brings it over to you, Richard. I would say that, that we, the people, are our first and last line of defense for our own liberty, that the problem that we are in is caused by ourselves because of our ignorance. We have allowed ourselves to uh, to be manipulated, and the only solution is for we, the people, to become educated and to follow the Constitution and to take back the government, and that's I would yield the floor on. And William, uh, thank you very much, uh, Richard William. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I would encourage everyone to uh, go to our websites called the County Sheriff Brigades of Pennsylvania. The address is sheriffbrigadesofpenn.com. And, and there's a lot of documents that I've written and others have written uh, on that, which will address a lot of issues and I hope answer uh, a lot of the questions that you have. Um, there is an article, as an example, it is time to, t- to reclaim the true Pennsylvania militia, explanation point. And I trace that history on there. So I would encourage you uh, to uh, continue to read and, and organize and uh, locally and then spread out, spread out to the, uh, the towns and townships and counties and build a force of somewhere around 5 to 10% of the people and I believe that uh, that'll be impressive enough to at least um, make the government think twice before they start attacking us. So, uh, but it has to be done locally. It really does. Anyway, I thank you for your time, and uh, and hope you'll continue to read and study. And if you have any questions, just leave me an email on that uh, website, and I'll get back to you. Yeah, definitely. If if you uh, don't mind, if you can uh, go to the contact page on uh, the show's website, www.barrettslogic. Talk.com. You can uh, contact and send uh, me that link there, and then I can post it up on the website uh, if you get that to me. And uh, appreciate it. And, yeah, definitely, folks, uh, I'd like to have this conversation again. Uh, I think there's still a lot uh, to be said and definitely want to have uh, solutions. I mean, we can talk about, you know, of course, what our problems are, but we need to, you know, get out there to folks what the solutions are going to be. So let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, David. The uh, only thing I'd like to say here is um, I really do appreciate Bruce's heart and the things that he said there when he was talking about we've got some real problems and we need to figure out how to work together to solve them. And uh, 
appreciate the opportunity to be able to share a few thoughts on the show tonight. The one thing I'd like to encourage people, um, when I mentioned that book by Dr. Vieira, Three Rights, uh, the three rights that the Declaration of Independence gives us are the rights to resist a bad government, to restore a good government, and to renew the country. And um, I think that this conversation is the kinds of things that we need to start having where we, as Richard Fry said, we need to re-educate ourselves because there's two types of ignorance that have really succumbed us in many ways. The perpetrated ignorance of our government, our schools, our religious institutions, and our media that have put us into a delusion of non-ignorance. I have a mentor who said to me one time, the problem in America is not ignorance, it's the things we think we know that are not true. And the only way to be able to get past that is to move into conscious ignorance, that we understand there's things we don't know. I've been there. The stuff I talked about tonight, myself and shared with everybody, I've studied over the last few years, but I didn't believe this stuff all the time in my life. I'm 60 years old. I didn't start learning this stuff till I was in my mid-50s. So, you know, um, we've got some things to learn and to get re-corrected, uh, reoriented, if you will, and I encourage everybody, uh, this this is the kind of conversations we need to have, and we need to share these ideas with others, and I appreciate the opportunity, Robert, to be on the show with you folks tonight to talk about this stuff. I yield. And David, we appreciate, uh, you, we appreciate you coming on, and definitely uh, welcome you to come back and can continue the conversation on uh, the topic we had uh, this evening, maybe not so much as it, you know, relating to uh, the Hammond Ranch, but also... Uh, but more so, you know, with our first half of the conversation. Well, actually, most of it was, uh, but we'll definitely have to do a, a show like that again. And then speaking of uh, getting it out, uh, for those of you who could get the link uh, from tonight's show, uh, as I said, each show is podcast, so it will be available. The archive will be available uh, where people can download uh, tonight's show in, in numerous ways. Just go to Blog Talk Radio, uh, where you can find uh, Bard's Logic Political Talk there. Uh, and then you have access to the downloads, or you can also access the archives by going to the homepage of the website at www.spartslogicpoliticaltalk.com, and then, you know, get the link out to folks, because, you know, it is a grassroots show, and that's how we spread the word here, is uh, by having uh, the audience, uh, as well as the host, uh, you know, get the the links out. So let's go ahead and bring it over to you, Susan. Uh, Thank you very much. Go ahead. Okay. Apparently, we have grown complacent. Looking the other way, went on constitutional action, fill into our states and leak into our lives. And um, our founders gave us the tools to combat tyranny. Unfortunately, we have not done it. The states themselves are guilty. They have to discipline themselves to stop accepting federal money and wean themselves from that stream of money that creates dependency and entangling alliances. They need to stop acceptance of federal mandates, laws, and regulations that are outside of the power that the Constitution grants to the federal government and elect correct people that will obey the Constitution. Does that seem impossible? Well, it's time to embrace and enforce the Constitution. It's time to stop it all. The John Birch Society has a plan to do so, and if you're not a member, please get involved with them today. Thank you very much, Susan. We appreciate the you you coming out and 
being part of the panel of the show, as well as, of course, you, Cindy, and then to our uh, last panelist uh, here on the show, that's Kelly. Go ahead. Well, hey, Robert, I'm not sure if I can do this in a minute. I really do appreciate Bruce coming on. I'm going to have to study the 13th Amendment because maybe we have been conquered by those of the bar. Um, That's a little frightening. By the way, uh, the Hebrew Torah had no instructions whatsoever for uh, attorneys. It was small-town judges everywhere. King Jehoshaphat appointed judges in every small town, and if you look at the arguably, arguably a grand jury first appeared in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 16 and 17, you look in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the uh, Sanhedrin was a form of a grand jury. But even there, they were um, brought together by authorities. And I appreciate Bruce's passion, passion to bring justice for the Finicum, and then the other situations that's going to come on. I want to speak Latin. Fiat justita, fiat justitia ruat calium. That's Latin for let justice be done, will they have not fall. Although Bruce and I are very passionate about justice, I think we're having a little bit of a disagreement on that. How? that things should be done. And I will mention that in U.S. versus Williams, four times Justice Scalia mentioned that the judge is the one who constitutes or calling of the grand jury, one, two, three, four. I see it in there. National Liberty Alliance kind of ignores that a judge has to. And I can go from President 1992 case all the way back to the Hebrew Torah, 1500 B.C., where the judge is involved. And I'm totally in, in favor of people who want to educate people about the grand jury, and I understand, absolutely, I understand, Bruce, I understand how our prosecutors have become gatekeepers and they're manipulating them. And in fact, I have a quote from Attorney Montgomery Sibley. He's a good guy. He wrote in a federal pleading, simply stated by statute rule and case law, the grand jury has been emasculated, and what can only be viewed as an absolute coup d'etat upon the grand jury by the federal government. I've studied the U.S. Attorney Manual, and it says the prosecutor must recognize the grand jury is an independent body. However, then the the Department of Justice Manual says, oh, the prosecutor from the Justice Department is um, in charge of the grand jury proceedings. Really? Which is it? Is it independent? Or is it the prosecutor from the um, Justice Department in charge of the grand jury? The correct answer is Congress never approved the United States uh, Attorney Manual from the Justice Department. The correct answer is the Justice Department did not exist until 1870. 1870. The Johnny-come-lately-has-now-protecting-corrupt-government-officials. I understand your passion, Bruce. I understand there might be a need to change things. My solution for the Hammond Ranch is to talk to the county grand jury, have the supervisors appoint independent counsel, as Trey Gowdy has been screaming regarding Benghazi, independent counsel. If not, we go to a federal grand jury under the USC 181504 as a way to get in front of the grand jury or inform the prosecutor, 18 USC 3232. There are ways to use the present system, even if we have to use a writ of mandamus for people to personally appear before the grand jury, give them a a pack of information where the foreman is informed Oh, my gosh, yeah, you can tell the prosecutor, shut up, sit down, we will call you in and if we need you. And we get there through the right of petition, Bureau of Adder, Bureau of Duryea versus Garnieria and Adderley versus Florida. So there are, Bruce, good news, there are ways to overcome how the attorneys and the prosecutors have taken over the grand jury so we can have fiat justitia rua calium. I yield my time. And at that, and at that, Kelly, I do need to get the just the, literally the last minute uh, comments from Bruce, uh, and then literally three minutes. I have to close things out. Go ahead, Bruce. 
Thank you, Kelly. Okay, I'll try to be quick about this. People, we need to understand that we have inalienable rights given to us from God. Um, we did create a government, but we only gave those governments so many rights to do so many things. And we have to understand that from 1820 on, everything that the government has done has been done in corruption. And this corruption goes from the county level to the state level all the way to the federal level. Now, particularly what has happened in Harney County, with the government's blessing in Harney County, there was a, safe, the, there was a committee of safety formed. And that committee of safety was elected by the people in the county. That committee of safety is the ones that chose to have the grand jury and the superior courts, the common law courts, fix the problem within that county. So the people in that county have came together and elected lawfully the grand jury to come up with resolutions to fix the problems with the corruption in their county. And everybody needs to understand that. I yield. Thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, of course, you're as well as welcome to come back on the show. And I want to thank everybody for uh, contr- their contribution to uh, the show this evening. And, of course, you're always welcome to come back. And, of course, we will be back on the air on Wednesday. And that will be at 10 o'clock Eastern time, as we are each Wednesday. And perhaps we'll have some more Friday night shows. I can definitely see those in the future. Uh, definitely covering the topic we have tonight. And so definitely, folks, check out two things. One is the Patriot Journalist Network at www.patriotjournalist.com, as well as the Bards Logic Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. And I will end tonight, as I do every night, and that is with the song by Aubrey Ashburn. And you can hear more of her music by going to www.aubreyashburn.com. So until next time, folks, good night and take care. Night. Night. Night.